Hey there. Just wanted to top this one off to talk about a couple things. First, I'm coming back to doing these episodes now that I actually have the motivation and time uh, to do them once again. I probably could have stuck with them uh, better than I did these last four-ish months, but I had to cut some things out when my classes and jobs started up again, and unfortunately making these didn't really last. However, I am back and ready to talk about more things with my friends. And thankfully, given some of the past experience with this, I feel like I have a better grasp on how to prepare for these, uh, actually structure them, and edit them. So they'll probably actually just be overall higher quality than they were before, and I should be able to make them a little bit faster. Second, this specific episode unfortunately cuts off in the middle of a discussion since Matt's computer had a small stroke at the end, but we still got a good two hours of talking in uh, before that went down, so it's still a pretty good one. Just in general, I'm looking forward to making more of these uh, throughout this summer and once I end up in my more permanent place in the fall. So I hope you enjoy listening to these, whoever you may be, and uh, I hope you enjoy this specific one. I am too. Okay. Three, two, Welcome back to the next episode of The Vault. Today, I am joined by my good friend from Marquette, Matt Eaton. Matt, how are you feeling today? I am fantastic. What's going on, John Luke? You know, I'm actually, I'm glad you're the, you're not the inaugural, um, what's it called, Marquette guest, but it is kind of fitting that you're one of the early ones because I think out of pretty much everybody, we correspond the most uh, by sending each other like shit posts uh probably every couple hours usually political mm-hmm. based which we'll get into but uh Sweet. before any of that i just want to as as is the running theme with all of this stuff i want to get into mm-hmm. the story of how you got to marquette and then how mm-hmm. you ended up meeting everybody else that's around here yeah let's definitely get into that i got one quick question for you as we start just because i need this on record um so you'll have Will on eventually, right? Oh, absolutely. His, uh, absolutely, we All will. All right, so if anybody who's actually paying attention, uh, Will and I both call John Luke, John oh, Luke. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, and Jackson, who's been on previously, calls John Luke, Luke. Uh, John, do you want to uh, explain maybe why uh, why there's a discrepancy in who calls you what among our friend group? Yeah, so I actually I have an identity crisis going on as a 23 year old, and <laughs> I basically I fucked up pretty bad in that um, on my resume and everything I apply to, I put John. Uh, that usually leads me to every time I move somewhere new and start a new like program in my next facet of life, I am called John. And then if I don't change it right away, it becomes too late to stick. Um, You guys all know me as John, because that's actually how I introduced myself. And uh, as I told told everybody earlier, when I first met you guys, I was like, ooh, I'm going to wait and make sure I actually like these people before telling them I'm, I'm, you know, I usually go by Luke. And then I forgot, and then we hung out a bunch. And then, like, it was probably, like, two weeks in, and I was like, oh, hey, by the way, guys, I usually go by Luke, but I think it's a little too late at this point, so we're just gonna roll fucking with it. Two, two weeks in, that was like fucking six weeks in. You're, 
was it down really? to the office one day and you're like, oh, by the way, guys, uh, most people call me Luke. And me and Will just looked at you and were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you're giving, a, giving us a false name and we just met you? That's pretty sick. Yeah, pretty much. I uh, <laughs> I am I am John in Wisconsin and Luke in Iowa. It's kind of nice, actually. Mm-hmm. Double persona. And uh, me and Will just couldn't compromise. I think I think I started calling you it specifically. I just I have you in my phone as John like hyphen Luke, just because I, I cannot be bothered to commit yeah. to one name no, or the other. Now it's it's a hundred percent my fault. But mm-hmm. all right, let's get into it. You are actually the only one of us who went to Marquette for undergrad, uh, which is interesting. Yes. And let's uh, let's hear that story. I think I've heard it once, but I want to get it on record. Yeah, so uh, when I was in high school uh, here in Cary, uh, I, I spent a lot of time in like the social sciences department. I took like AP U.S. history, AP European history, and I actually thought I was gonna be like a history major because I just like really liked history a lot. So when it came time to like go to school or like kind of start thinking about where I want to go for like a job or kind of what I want to do, I took uh, AP economics uh, for my uh, senior year. Uh, which I absolutely fell in love with, which is somehow we ended up here with a master's degree in it. But the uh, um, when I was trying to figure out where to go to school, I had absolutely no idea. Uh, but my teacher, who taught me both history and economics, who was uh, a really good friend at this point, uh, went to Marquette and had Marquette, uh, you know, sayings and flags all over the all over the social science room. So basically, I just went up to her one day. And I was like, oh, do you like Marquette? And she's like, yeah, I loved it. So I went up and toured because it's not that far away. And then uh, uh, we basically toured around for the day. And it was pretty much the only, like, serious consideration college I even, like, applied to. So um, between her and another teacher who went there to, like, uh, gave me a letter of recommendation, I, I was pretty much just pretty much set on Marquette um, as my primary only choice for undergrad. And then, uh, you, you know the story, too, of, of ending up at grad school here was uh, pretty much coercion. So, uh, <laughs> As is by, with all of us, yeah. Yeah, by a wonderful, wonderful man named Dr. Norzad. So, um, yeah, under, undergrad was uh, pretty cool here. But, yeah, it was pretty much this or just, like, not go to school. So, If I remember right, you said you came up here with, like, a couple friends, uh, mm-hmm. actually, and then one by one, you kind of became like the sole survivor <laughs> of like those who came up to Marquette. Is that yeah. is that actually true, or am I just misremembering that? No, no, that's totally true. I won't I won't badmouth anybody by giving any names, but the uh, I uh, don't I worry. We've up... already we've already badmouthed people in previous episodes. Of this. Yeah, so yeah, so we not like these people would ever like somehow get a hold of this, but the uh, um, my I actually. My high school best friend uh, came up to here with Marquette and applied and got in too. And then usually like the first week of school, you know, you make like a like a starting group of people. So there was, you know, my best friend from high school. I had a person down the hall from me who was a pretty uh, cool guy named Max. Um, and then his roommate Terrence, uh, which was really cool. And then two other people, uh, Cam and Sarah, um, was uh, was kind of our friend group. And uh, it kind of started right away with uh, Terrence. Uh, he he was from Guam originally. Uh, his, so he was like a 15-hour flight from home. And he was like two months into Marquette. And then he got super like homesick and just like moved out. Um, and then Max dropped out. Uh, Sarah dropped out. And then my old high school friend, we kind of like grew apart. And then he dropped out too. So I kind of had like... A pretty good friend group at the beginning of freshman year and i would confidently say pretty much up until i met you guys i didn't really have too many people i talked to that i like knew <laughs> yeah that's 
that's quite unique in that uh, you come to school with like a group of friends, and then all of a sudden everybody just kind of like falls off the face of the earth for you. Yeah, it was actually like just the weirdest thing. It was it was literally everybody I knew like just stopped going to Marquette, and this was uh, um, yeah, it was just it was honestly it was real odd. Well, that explains how you got here. We're gonna. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into the, the um what's it called how we got into the master's program next because i think we have everybody honestly everybody that we know has pretty similar stories but uh get into yours with Nurzad. i'll get into mine and then I'll, after that i want to hear how you met will because i i know this but i want it on as as said already i want this on record yeah, too yeah perfect so i mean you'll you'll hear this from literally every marquette uh economics <laughs> graduate who goes to grad school but i remember my junior year of of or my sophomore year so my second year in in college i uh was set to start taking master's classes my last year or my third year of college my junior year um and that was not originally a plan i, I was set to graduate a uh, year early from my bachelor's and my uh academic advisor in the econ department uh who's a very very nice lady um, said like, oh, have you ever considered going for a master's? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, but she, she's like, oh, just go across the hall and talk to uh, Dr. Norzad. He runs the program for, you know, uh, um, the master's program. And I thought it was a good idea because I actually had Norzad for uh, undergraduate macro, like the next semester. So I was like, oh, I'll introduce myself, and then, you know, who knows if it if it works out and I go, you know, that'd be great. Or if it doesn't work out, then he'll at least know me before the class, right? So. Um, I remember walking in there. I remember him sitting me me down at you know that circle desk he has or that circle <laughs> table in front of his desk with the and, with the uh, computer screen was, flipped out. Yeah. Yeah, and he was trying to pull something up, and it took him like 20 minutes. But you know, it's, it's the same <laughs> stuff. He probably the ritual. I, I'm pretty, Everybody goes through I'm, it. Yeah, the other great thing about it too is in the middle of your one-on-one private meeting, he'll just start calling people in from the like the hallways. He'll be like, "Oh, Norzad, we need to discuss student aid," and he'll be like, "Oh, okay, sweet. Here, Ted, get in here." And uh, suddenly you're just like round tabling like the next three <laughs> years of your graduate program with like people you've never met. But it's awesome. So I, I can't remember literally anything about the conversation. All I knew is I went in there, and 15 minutes later. Uh, uh, he told me like I I didn't need to take the GRE to go to this like to grad school. He's like, don't even like mentally think you're you're leaving Marquette and coming back or you're going for a different degree. It's like you're just going to school here for a fourth year and it'll be your master's. Uh, so that dude somehow convinced me of all that. Had me signed up for econometrics and you know industrial organization my junior year. I uh, had all this set to go in about like 15 minutes and I walked out of there and it, I didn't even get to the realization that I was like basically in grad school at this point or I got convinced to go to grad school and I just like walked all the way back to my dorm and I sat down. I was like, well, shit, I guess I guess I'll be here for another extra year. So, um, but I mean, he, well, we'll talk about this later, but that, that man, A, is like a messiah and just like one of the best people we've ever met, I think. He's, he's just crazy. He's the ultimate salesman with a heart of gold. He really is. Yeah. You can't even remember being sold shit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> My story is really similar in that uh, I ended up Marquette was like one of the one of like three master's programs that I I, I kind of had my heart set on, mostly because it was actually an applied program, but it was the only one that was in the Midwest, and so I got an email about a like grad school open house visit, 
And I was like, oh, well, I'll go up here. I, I know they're going to give me like an application waiver for this. That saves me like 60 bucks. Like it's a 30 minute drive from Kenosha. I might as well. Little did I know, I show up. There's like hundreds of people at this event because it's like for all of the grad programs. I yeah. walk in. There's it's I guess I walk into like this rather large ballroom in the like Memorial Union. I, I don't even I don't spend a lot of time on other places in campus, but uh yeah. Walk in, hundreds of tables, like so many people talking. There's one table dedicated to the applied econ program, and Nurzad is the only one sitting there. And Uh I walk up and I'm like, "Hey, like, are (laughs) you're here for the like econ program, right?" He's like, "Oh, sure, sit down, let's talk." And I had a (laughs) two-hour conversation with him by myself Mm -hmm. about all the things Uh in the program and. Uh, like how I could get in and like things I've done in the past. It was crazy. And I walked similarly to you. I walked out and I was like, wait a second. I think, I think I'm like signed up to go here now. And then (laughs) literally the next day, this had, this, this was at like eight o'clock at night, like by 9am the next morning, he had emailed me and he's like, Hey, just formalize your application. Uh, I'll, I'll pass it along. Like I'll, <laughs> I think he is the admissions committee. I, I can't remember for sure, but uh, he was like, I'll just send you your acceptance later. Uh, and like your like GA thing after that, and uh, you'll be good to go. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm at Marquette now. <laughs> yeah, and we we've, we've talked about this before. He literally moves mountains in like a matter of seconds with no ease whatsoever. Like you. You basically, like, got in and talked to him and was basically accepted and, like, enrolled without actually having to go through any formal process, pretty much. Um, I, and I had the same thing, because he was, like... Because as an undergrad, you're not supposed to be taking grad classes. There's a bunch of, like, waivers you have to fill out and, like, promise you won't fail them and drop out and shit like that. And uh, I never saw any one of those forms because he had all, <laughs> all that shit filled out with me. And he's like, no, you're just doing this now. And I was like, oh, okay. And then my dumb ass was like, oh, yeah, grad classes can't be any harder than the four other undergrad classes I'm taking. You know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's a monster. He's yeah. like, actually just... I think all of us have, like, some unique story of how he was Mm -hmm. able to, like, wrangle us a scholarship or, like, some Uh sort of financial aid or, like, get us, you know, in classes or change graduation requirements around Uh so that, like, it benefits us in some way. And you're right. The Uh guy moves mountains and he's, I don't know, he's a saint. Uh, We have, you know, we have a lot. We have a lot to be appreciative of with him. All right. Now we got to get into it. Uh, I've heard this before. (laughs) <laughs> in various ways but how did you for the first time actually get in touch with will and jackson uh so this is this is great so my junior year my first time going through econometrics with jolly uh i, I i'm like scared shitless and i'm sitting in the back of the classroom of uh of econometrics and like two like a row in front of me on the far right is this like long hair, you know, long black haired dude <laughs> and this and this skinny, like blonde haired dude with glasses. And, you know, classes just started, like everybody was in the master's program for the first time. And uh like they were just hitting it off. Like, you know Jackson and Will, they they're basically two peas in a pod. So um so that's the first time I've probably talked to them. I, I didn't I wasn't really friends with them at that point, but like this is how I, I got to know them initially. And then uh my second class I was taking instead of micro, which you know I saved to to go with with you. God um, bless. <laughs> I took uh, industrial organization uh, and public policy with Smith, um, and Will was actually in that class too. And I talked to Will 
uh, more one-on-one with him there. Because, uh, you know, we had questions. We had to present papers, talk about how we were doing stuff. But I wouldn't really say Will and I were, like, friends or we didn't talk that much. Like, we knew who, you know, who each other were. But, um, like, we weren't, we weren't, like, hanging out or anything yet. And then it was actually the semester later uh, when I'm first taking macro for the first time with Norzad uh, and, and McGibbony's time series. And uh, I sit at the back of the classroom again, and then Will and Jackson come over, and Jackson sits in front of me, and Will sits to the side of me. And Jackson, knowing Jackson, uh, just turned around to me, kind of remembers who I was from Econometrics, and just asked me, like, the stupidest fucking question he could think <laughs> of. Like, I, I can't exactly, you know, remember what it was, but, it, like, if you did that exact scenario today, he'd turn around and be like, so, uh, like, you fuck apes? Or like, something like that. <laughs> so, so, basically, he does that. Hypothetically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one, I can actually remember what it was, maybe a little bit. He always carried around a D20 with him uh, because he was playing D&D at the time with, uh, with Max, Julie, and Will. And he would be like, uh, you know, let's, like, let's roll a D20 for something. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I knew what that was. And so, that was kind of my first introduction to Jackson. But Jackson gets up and, like, kind of steps to the side of me. And he's talking to Will. And Will, Will seen there trying to convince Jackson to play league, and I turn over because I play league at the time. I played with all my high school buddies and I played it through all throughout college. I just look at Will, and uh, I go, "You talk about League of Legends," and he just looks at me with like, and he goes, "Yeah, boy," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I literally like after that it was over. Like I talked to Will and Jackson pretty much every day of my life after that. It's honestly that that was it. Um, I pretty much, like, after I, I played, like, acknowledged that I played League, I played, like, League with Pat and Will for the first time that night uh, after Macro. Uh, like, like day later, I was hanging out with Will and Jackson at the office, which, by the way, I didn't even have access to at the time because I was still <laughs> an undergraduate. So they were just, like, letting me in. Um, and I just, like, basically hung around with them enough uh to and i like i said I, I talked to them pretty much every day after that whether we were doing homework whether i was playing like league with will whether we were like like just doing stupid shit like that's pretty much exactly what happened and then um i i would say there was definitely a like a, a moment when i knew will and i would be like good friends and jackson too um but uh we were in macro with with norzad and uh, i'm i'm like completely zoned out because you know like Grad classes went from like five thirty to eight thirty for us. They were night yes, classes. Yes, yes, indeed, they do. And this was like seven forty-five. So like you're out of steam. You don't want to look at anything else. It was like a fucking Tuesday night, and you're just you just like don't want to be there. Ready to go and get tangled noodles. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I look up and uh, Norzad is a great teacher, but he usually goes on these rants about these random ass things for like like literally an hour. Like, one time he was talking about his car, which was pretty cool, or about um, just other stuff that he did. He would get off topic pretty easily. But I was completely zoned out for, like, 15 minutes. And I suddenly look up, and I and I see Norzad, like, suddenly must have left the classroom and came back. And he's just tossing t-shirts to people. Absolutely no context, whatever is happening. He's just <laughs> like, oh, you guys want a t-shirt? He'd just throw it at you. I just look over to Will, who, by the way, is drawing Arndt in his fucking, like, notebook six times <laughs> over at this point. And I just look at Will, and I just go, dude, what the fuck is going on? And he looks up, obviously was completely zoned out, too. And he just looks at me down the eye, just goes, I have no fucking idea what's happening. And, and it's just pretty much, him and I were on the same wavelength through just, like, the end of time after that. <laughs> it, was, it was great. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd heard a little bit of that from Jackson, and obviously from you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's, God. 
It's gorgeous. Um, that's remarkably similar. I, I went over this with Jackson on his episode, but basically, mm-hmm. you know, he adopted me after, uh, like, right before one of our freaking data ethics classes together. Oh, yeah. And literally that same day, uh, after asking me a bunch of questions about my freaking NBA model thing that I've made, dragged me down to the office with you, and then from there it was just kind of all over. Because then right after that, we had... Um, we had micro together. God bless uh-huh. graduate microeconomics. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, I think pretty much every every day we would I don't know we would we would feature each other in like the office or like at class or you know getting dinner after class things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and well, yeah, you're right. It just snowballed. Yeah, it's really funny. There's how you and I became friends too, because you you met Jackson first through the GA thing, and then ethics, where I met you for the first time. But I would say you and I definitely became super good friends after that that the camping trip you and I and Colin went on. Yes. Um, oh shit. Be- I actually didn't. Fuck. I didn't write anything down about that. We should actually talk about that first. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was really funny because like I knew you, or or we met, or we we talked, you know, a little bit. We were definitely acquaintances or becoming friends at that point. And I invited Jackson, Will, uh, and you with me uh, to go camping in, like, mid-October because uh, I wanted to go see Colin, who goes to UW-Stout. Um, and we're kind of getting to that point, and Jackson and Will bow out because they had, like, to do, like, uh, like thesis shit, which which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and was super busy. So I kind of looked at you, and I was like, well, do you still want to go? And you were like, yeah, fuck yeah. So um, you and I shared, like, a three-hour car ride where we, like, kind of knew each other um, pretty much all the way there. Uh, and then, you know, you met my friend Colin, uh, and, we, and we camped all weekend. And I think by the time we, you know, we got back from that, we were definitely, like, pretty good friends. Oh, for so. sure. I mean, it was, like, yeah. it was a great way to <laughs> to isolate ourselves and ask each other questions, like, for an entire uh-huh. three hours there, three hours back car ride. Yeah, that was so much fun, though. It was such a it was like kind of a such curse a, camp out but it was it oh, was yeah. really fun um because we get there in like the dead of night it's kind of freezing but like not not like overly cold you guys were planning on hammocking uh-huh. and immediately we're like oh absolutely fucking not yeah <laughs> it's it's way too cold and way too hard to set up right now um I, if I remember right, it snowed that for that like it was like it was like flakes of snow that first morning after being like 17 degrees <laughs> throughout the night. Uh, yeah, definitely, because it got worse during the day. Because when we were driving around to all that cranberry shit, it was like a blizzard outside. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because we and then we um we found the cats uh, that were in uh in the bathroom the, for a while. The kitten oh, yeah. that was fucking adorable. But yeah, you're right. Then we went out and uh we went out and explored saw went to the cranberry museum in that tiny ass town <laughs> warren wisconsin it was beautiful god bless played video or video games played board games back at uh whatever that board game shop was even further where away. the yeah where the fuck was that that I was have, like I the middle fucking remember for the life of me but that's when you guys introduced me to san juan and yeah, ever since oh my game. god that yeah, that's yeah uh it's been like a religious board game we've played every time we've gotten together. Um, did I ever tell you the story of what was required to actually get a hold of that board game? You like, did, but I want to hear it. I want to hear it again. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Colin used to go to board game nights with a couple other high school friends, but like down here in Cary, um, and we would drive basically like forty-five minutes to this place. Um, and Colin's uncle would go there because Colin's uncle is a big board game guy. Um, and one time when it was just me, Colin, and another friend named Matt. 
uh, and his uncle, we play San Juan, which is this like tile building, like like you're trying to create an engine basically, um, and you're trying to build buildings. And the first one to build eleven buildings like ends the game. But then, depending on what type of buildings you get, you score points. So basically, you're trying to build like eleven really good buildings. Um, to, to score better uh, than everybody else, and you're trying to either end the game slower or quicker um, to get more points. So this game is just, like, super, super fun, super quick, super easy to teach. Um, and uh, ever since that night, which probably when I was, like, 16, we were like, oh, we need to buy this game. And, and whatever, we made some unwritten rule that we would not, like, order it off of Amazon for some fucking reason, because that would have taken three seconds. <laughs> That'd so, be cheating, yeah. Yeah, of course. So me and Colin, for the next, like, two or three years every place we went every board game shop we went to the one in like around Cary. anytime we went camping anywhere we would go to a local board game shop to find it and we would always find the game called uh san pablo which is like like a really like similar game but not san juan so wait um, isn't it no it, it's puerto rico wait no puerto it's, rico yeah you're right yeah, you're it's right, puerto right. rico <laughs> yeah san, san pablo. pablo i don't know what the <laughs> fuck that is um so we uh we looked everywhere so basically uh my f- sophomore year of college colin i and a friend named matt uh we went to colorado uh denver because uh, matt's grandmother lived out there when we were going for a concert and we finally walked in the most blessed board game shop we've ever done. Um, it was like two stories. Uh, it was just fucking massive. And Kyle and I immediately knew what we were looking for. So we're like scourging through this entire place. We're just like taking shit off the shelf. We're trying to find it. We find exactly one copy of San Juan in like the darkest little corner. We bought that shit instantly. And it was just like the most relieving thing to like finally find it and we played it for like the rest of the day it was just it was that important to us like that game is so fucking blessed it really is it's so yeah. much fun and that <laughs> the quest to find it was worth it that's fucking it awesome alright we're gonna get into the first <laughs> one of the first topics of this we have a whole bunch to cover but the first yeah. one right after we you know spent so much time at the top of this talking about how great Nurzad is uh-huh. We've talked a lot before about how terribly unhelpful a lot of the either a lot of the advice we've been given or just uh-huh. non-existent advice we've gotten towards advancing in economics, basically, like going from like undergrad to grad stuff, and then like uh-huh. even even how to approach like PhD programs or research uh-huh. and things like that, where essentially, for the gist of it, like we've we kind of got left to figure it out by ourselves oh yeah to was, to a pretty large like worrying degree at some point and uh <laughs> so some real emergency hours shit had to be pulled to make sure we weren't like suddenly kicked from the program <laughs> yeah <laughs> for just like the stupidest so, little thing i was just gonna i was at least gonna like run by the gist of this uh quick by basically just saying like me personally I became an econ major my sophomore year of college after I switched from um, computer science. And when I switched, I actually ended up like essentially picking my advisor who would end up being like, I got really close with him, took a whole bunch of classes. He was my thesis advisor, all these things in undergrad. Mm -hmm. And not fucking once did he mention, hey, math classes are a really important part of like understanding <laughs> economics never once 
until one day I actually like brought it up to him when I was working with him on a summer research project. And I was like, hey, I'm looking at all these requirements for grad school. Like, why is it saying that I need to take like linear algebra and differential equations? <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know what those classes were. And he's like, oh yeah, like we, as soon as you like leave intermediate stuff, uh-huh. all the uh, all the equations you know become a lot harder. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Why didn't you tell me that when I like joined this stuff? Um, mm-hmm. And then similarly, like, you know, how to get into research opportunities uh, mm-hmm. or like when you're getting prepped for grad school, you kind of find out like, oh, I have to take the GRE and like, what's the GRE mm-hmm. and how do I study for it? Or like, oh God, I have to get letters of recommendation, but who do I ask and how do I mm-hmm. like approach doing this and what are they going to say? It's, it's such a complicated process and we've talked about it before where essentially like we got, you know, we got thrust into our programs by Nurzad, but mm-hmm. uh, ever since, or like even getting, like building up to that, we didn't exactly have the smoothest transition from undergrad to grad, or uh, I guess in the future we'll have a transition in your case, uh, maybe pursuing a PhD later. Yeah. F- yeah. Fuck no. <laughs> we, were, we were left out of the cold so quickly. Just like, I think just following up on your example about like not having the math background going for it, or not even knowing we needed the math background. Like you and I were sitting in, in micro graduate level microeconomics and our, our professor, professor Meyer, uh, like first day is like, okay, so uh, we're gonna do a quick math review. Um, I'm gonna assume everyone here has taken Calc three because we'll be oh doing Lagrange. Oh my god! I just fucking looked at. I just looked at you and I was like, dude, I haven't even taken Calc one. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, what the fuck? Like nobody, nobody told us about this, and I've told like Jolly this a bunch of times too. There was um. Uh, for like how quick we were scooped up into the the grad program, nobody gave us like any basic requirements like whatsoever. Like I was basically uh, in grad school already. I've already taken two grad classes. This is the the semester before I'm actually supposed to apply and get into grad school. I've already taken two fucking grad classes, um, which was fucking micro, uh, which was econometrics, which was the, like the hardest fucking one anyway. And Norzad just looks at me. He's like, so. Uh, what's your GRE score when you submit your application? I, I looked at him. I was like, what the fuck is the GRE? And he's like, oh, you haven't taken the GRE? I was like, is, is that like the ACT? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, you kind of. Uh, he goes, oh, it's just like the standardized test you have to take. He's like, if you haven't taken it, you need to take it like right now. And I was like fucking panicking for like five minutes. I was like not prepared for this. This was like like, fucking five minutes before I'm supposed to finish my official, like, application to grad school, who, by the way, only goes to Norzad, who accepts it anyway, like you said earlier. Um, and then Norzad goes, oh, by the way, what was your, like, GPA in undergrad? And I was like, oh, well, here's my transcript. It's like, oh, well, then you don't have to take it. And I was like, well, what the fuck did you just tell me that for? That was, that scared the living shit out of me. And that's, like, like a simple example. Um, the other one was... Uh, to did you have a complicated process becoming a uh, like a TA? Do Ooh, you remember having any sort like, of? Yeah, actually. The uh, for for me too. Uh, we were just like in macro one day, which was taught by Norzad, and he would just come in one day and he's like, "All right, anybody who wanted to be TA, make sure you've already filled out this form to do it." And like, I was like, "Oh shit, I need to be a TA because obviously for the benefits." And then like. 
But nobody said anything about becoming a TA. So I just, like, quickly tapped on Jackson's shoulder. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Um, and Jackson just, like, quickly pulled up the website for me. I literally filled it out as I was sitting in macro. And, like, like shit like that would pop up all the time for us. It was like these, like, oh, by the way, like, something that could change your life tomorrow if you don't do it today is, like, do. Like, oh, by the way, you had absolutely no idea what the fuck we were talking about before this. Seriously, that actually, yeah, that actually just reminded me, very similar. I, um, Nurzad told me about the GA opportunity when I was getting into Marquette, but I never heard about how you were supposed to renew it. So, like, halfway through last year, uh, I'm sitting down in the office, and some, oh, I get an email from Nurzad. It's like, it's like the end of, it's getting close to the end of December. I get an email from Nurzad, and he's like, hey, I'm supposed to, like, allocate your hours for, like, your next GA position, but you're not listed as a GA. Did you reapply? And I was like, I was supposed to what? And I checked the website, and it was like, oh, um, you, like, you need to, like, uh, re- or what's it called? Like, send in your application for this by four days ago. And I was like, oh, shit. So I quickly, like, sent over an email to, I think his name was, like, Tom Marek or something like that, the financial aid guy. And I was like, hey, yeah. I was supposed to do this. Uh, is it still cool if I turn this shit in late? And he got back to me, like, no shit. He got back to me, like, five minutes later. And he's like, yeah, you're fine. And then, like, uh, I had my I had my uh, shit squared away by, like, the end of the day. But it was it was just little things like that where yeah. the, the listing for where you were supposed to, like, reapply for your GA position was legitimately on, like, like the bottom of, like, a third page of some sort of, like, manual that was in our uh. – in our uh, What's it called? Which in was our, like, the, which was website. I would say which was the eighth attachment of a of a fucking sixty four page long email that like nobody fucking read. Like shit like that would pop up all the time. I guess we like deserve it to, like for a sense, but holy shit! Do you remember the one that happened to me uh, after I completed my thesis in April? Uh, after I presented it online, and we're like, oh thank god! Like the only thing I have left done is uh, is like labor. Uh, and then I get this email. I, I literally screenshot and sent it over to you. Norzad emails me one day like like two weeks before I'm due to graduate. He goes, hey, uh, hey, Matt, uh, I'm looking over your transcript just to make sure you're good to go for graduation. Um, I'm noticing you're one credit short of graduating. Uh, can you, can you, he basically asked, can you find me one credit? And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Excuse me? And I just sent him back. I was like, how did this happen? Like we had the shit all planned out. And he sent me back this email. He's like, well, you do need 30 credits to graduate, so you may have to take a summer class. And I'm, like, freaking out at this point because I was like, how the fuck did I just get through basically two years of grad school and we didn't have this shit planned ahead? It's only 30 credits. Is like we, we had to deal with much harder uh, stuff in undergrad in terms of, like, time management and stuff. And I get an email back five minutes later, and Norzak goes, oh, I found your one credit. It was a one-credit class you took. It was listed as an undergrad class for some reason. You're good to go. And just, like, the heart attack was over. But, like, you would just get shit like that all the time. Like, it would come out of nowhere. Or even the best examples of this is when we wouldn't get the emails. Like, you and I wouldn't get something. But Jackson would come in and be like, oh, do you guys know you had to do this? And we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Jackson's like, oh, yeah, you guys didn't get the email about filling out the TA contact information that was due three days ago or some shit like that. <laughs> or all those timesheets. Yeah. Yeah. And then that. And then he would just, like, forward the email that we were supposed to be on to, like, like basically prevent us from losing our TA shit. It's like, um, 
it, it's crazy because on one hand, I know Norzad basically does the entire thing himself. And like I said, he's done so much for us. But like the amount of mini heart attacks just like he's given me, it, it's probably shortened my life by a couple of years for sure. I seriously, uh, he's blessed us all. And I mean, like he even um, like both the jobs that I'm working out as GATA, he literally sent me like the email uh the email links that i'm supposed to receive for, with all this information probably three days before i would like interview for the job or like like yeah. immediately get the job where he would be like uh-huh. uh like for instance you actually worked at the oira and i am mm-hmm. now in your old position after you graduated and mm-hmm. he told me about this job like halfway through quarantine i think it was like sometime in fuck, it was like sometime in may or something like that yeah. And he was like, hey, uh, Matt graduated. The OIRA needs another um, research assistant. Do you want to do this? And I was like, of course I do. This would be awesome. And he's like, cool. I'll tell Laura your interview is going to be, like, tomorrow. And I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a second, really? And uh, then, like, earlier this year, he goes, hey, um, Marquette's setting up this, like, committee that is uh, – gonna be partnered with like the police department and a couple of nonprofits. They want like some student reps from Marquette. Do you want to do this? And I was like, Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. And he's like, I can't give you class credit, but I can give you like essentially a GA ship for it. Uh, uh-huh. but you have to tell me in the next like two hours. I was like, <laughs> Well fuck, yeah, like sign me up for this. This is awesome. But like why is there no time in advance? Oh, like at all. No. no, and there's not only that in uh sometimes he just won't update you on, on things. Like I remember asking him, I wasn't, like I said, I, I took a summer class uh, cause I stayed in Milwaukee uh, my summer from junior year to senior year. Um, yeah. Cause I was working at OIRA over the summer and uh, nor is that it's like, Oh, you should take a, like a summer class. And uh, you know, Marquette, it's a private school. It's fucking expensive. Um, and he's like, Oh, you should take this class, uh, which was database management at the time. And I was like, oh, shit. He's like, okay, yeah, the cost is going to be, like, $4,000 or whatnot. And, like, me being a poor college student who, like, just started his fucking job was like, yeah, I can't pay for this, like, whatsoever. Uh, so I, I asked Norzia, I was like, hey, can I, like, start my, my teaching assistantship early? And this was, like, in May when I'm talking to him when he told me to sign up for this. Um, I was like, can I start my teaching assistantship early, you know, to get the, the credit, you know, scholarship thing off? And he... Uh, he goes like, well, no, you can't really because you're not actually in grad school yet. Like, you start your grad school in fall. And that was just, like, the end of the conversation. And uh, so, like, a couple months go by. I'm about to start the class. The the bill's coming up. The bill's due. And I was like, all right, I'll just pay for it. It's like, whatever. I'll Either I'll take a loan for it or whatever. I just get this random-ass email, not even from Norzap, but it was from, like, financial aid that goes, oh, by the way, your $2,500 scholarship, summer scholarship has uh, just been approved and applied to the class. I was like, what the fuck? What scholarship? I didn't apply for that whatsoever. Um, and, then, and then it hit me. I was like, oh my God, Norzad just got me that fucking a summer scholarship. And I didn't even fucking sign up for it. And I, I remember sending him a quick, like, thank you. Like, how the hell did you do this? Like, you should have told me something or whatnot. But, like, he has the power. Um, I don't think he does it intentionally. But he has the power to just, like, affect your life in a matter of minutes and just, like, change it forever. Like, like literally years of uh of academics and stuff in just like 30 seconds he's it's just crazy like grad school was always like that it was just like pinpoint like last minute decisions that you hope were just like the right form you were filling out or talking to the right person um 
Yeah, it certainly wasn't like you can't plan ahead for it because it's just impossible. You had to adapt, or you or or you just wouldn't survive. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. It's so funny how started this talking about how we got terrible guidance as far as like <laughs> like how to progress in economics, and then it ended up being like, oh yeah, Nurzad did all these things for us though. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it is. It's like it, it's a it's a double sided sword because he won't he won't tell you it's coming, uh, but when he does do it, it's it's like amazing. It, it's just crazy. Yeah, it was... God, he's the best. All right. Next thing. This one's this one's, a, this one's an interesting topic. And I... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, I'm so glad I ended up remembering it because we talk a lot about political news because mm-hmm. you actually were a political science and econ double major. And mm-hmm. I just like to read political shit posts that somehow mm-hmm. keep me up on, like, political news. But... Interestingly, we get a lot of our news from Reddit, for better or worse. Um, yeah. We obviously De- definitely, like, definitely for worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just gonna go over this. We uh, there are pros and cons to it because like it's not it's not Facebook, it's not um, you know it's not the places where you're gonna get fed you know, lies, except for if you're on the mm-hmm. wrong communities. But I wanted to go over some of the like pros and cons of this because mm-hmm. we've, we've explored the, you know, explored the landscape of political Reddit long enough mm-hmm. to have this kind of sense of what goes on in certain mm-hmm. parts of these places. And some of it, some of it's really helpful and some of it's like very insightful and you gain a lot of knowledge from it. And some mm-hmm. of it is literally like the worst echo chambers you've ever been in your life. So, oh, yeah. At first, it's, I just wanted to highlight some of the some of the nice things of it, where essentially, uh-huh. like, when big events happen, they get uploaded on these on these uh, subreddits in seconds. Like, yeah. you texted me the day that the Capitol riots were going on, and yeah. I didn't I didn't know they were happening at the time. I saw your text, immediately went to like the new sections of some of the big um, politics subreddits, and there were like mega threads set up. There were a whole bunch of posts, people like <laughs> essentially giving like live feeds of what what the hell was going on. And it was a great like centralized place to find all of this information. Mm-hmm. And that's usually that's usually really nice. And there's all these um, like consolidation events of like uh, you know when there's presidential debates or like over the summer when there were democratic debates. All of these things mm-hmm. would go on and there's a whole there's like these these dedicated sites or dedicated essentially places where you can sit and talk about it with a whole bunch of people which is really nice um the other some of the other benefits is that some of these places are fucking hilarious we spend <laughs> a lot of time um on the political compass memes and neoliberal god subreddits bless. and god bless. god bless those places indeed uh they are somehow able to balance the scales of like like edgy memes with actual political news to be informative and uh-huh. still funny and it's kind of an art form at this rate and i, was I mean say, lastly when you like, get, like when you get a major like news breaking story like not be a some informed like wall street journal article but you get it through like this like third tier shit post meme on like r slash neoliberal uh, like a really funny one for us just thinking about it real quick was like when they confirmed like Janet Yellen to be treasury and as like 
economics majors, we, we know a bunch about like Janet Yellen, um, or at least we know who she is, right? And uh, um, and it wasn't like, oh boy, Janet Yellen's the treasury head. It was like, oh, here's like Mama Bear back with the money printer who's just fucking <laughs> cranking it to like the loudest ear rape shit you've ever heard. Um, and that's what we said to each other, which is just, which is great. But it's it's nice because like it gets the uh, it gets the story across of like what happened, but it also gives context to who this person is and what like mm-hmm. essentially what the prediction for the future of like her duration mm-hmm. in office is is going to be like, mm-hmm. which is essentially what political you know political communities talk about anyways. Mm-hmm. But lastly, they're like some people actually have some really solid insight on these places. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I have a I have a really <laughs> I have a really strange story about this where um, I started paying a lot more attention to politics in 2018, right around the midterm elections, because I was in a class. I think it was like social welfare policy at Carthage, and we had a project where we essentially had to like do we had to do a whole bunch of research. We were giving a very like large scale candidate presentation to like pretty much our entire student like a a whole bunch of our student body at Carthage about like who the Democratic and Republican candidates that were up for office in Kenosha's district at the time Mm -hmm. and so we really had to do our homework otherwise we were going to look like morons and like on a stage and I'm shit you not I got the vast majority of my information on my candidate stances from Mm -hmm. people talking about them on reddit because these people would have like their own dedicated websites that were full of bullshit. And then I would go, I would like look them up, uh, find out other stuff from third party websites, but there would always come up in like discussion threads and I would find like, Oh yeah, this person is, you know, um, they say they're, you know, against like increasing fiscal spending and things like that. But they're also, they also have like four plans to, increase like the police budget and like mm-hmm. all of these things that go against their their generic stances and i was like this is you know the most helpful list of resources i ever could have found and i'm finding it from someone who has a username that's like xxx69 unicorn or something like that yeah and it's it's unbelievable how sometimes you find like you know diamonds in the rough with actual <laughs> helpful information that you can actually learn from um do you remember uh to I think my favorite example of just thinking about it back now. Do you remember like in the height of, of midterms of uh, I guess 2020 the Democratic midterms in, in Iowa the Iowa caucus is the uh, is Mayor Pete gay? Can I get my vote back? Shit, that <laughs> shit was fucking hilarious. Like, um, yeah, just just you find these these memes that that definitely have some insight. Like the 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 one we're talking about now was there's this clip on. I was scrolling around on Reddit about the Iowa caucuses, and uh, this person submitted their vote for for Mayor Pete, and uh, like submitted the vote, handed it in, like they turned it in, it counted, and she comes back to the like the polling station or whatever, and she's like trying to get her vote back, and and the lady's asking her why, and she's like, oh, I just figured out Mayor Pete was gay, uh, can I get my vote back? And she's like, she's like, she's like yelling and all this shit, and. Uh, it just gives you like literal insight of how little people pay attention to who they're voting for, uh, which is just super funny. Cause like, I wouldn't consider that like political in a left or right versus thing. It's more of just like, look at these people who couldn't even bother to like Google the candidate they just voted for, for like five seconds. It, it, it's, 
you just find some really crazy shit like honestly it's unbelievable yeah um what was i gonna say <laughs> no it's okay it's all good grandma uh oh, oh, oh. technically <laughs> matt, <laughs> matt and i are recording a podcast thing it's it's not a big deal no it's okay you can like sit and chill but uh I think I'll edit your cameo appearance out as as long as yeah. you don't uh, you don't get butt hurt. Shut the fuck up, Granny. Hello. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it's okay. But uh, you're more than welcome to just like sit and chill around. You can be the enforcer if anybody else joins. Tell them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, I was um, gonna say. Oh, go, go ahead. I'd uh, say so we could switch to, or, or maybe give some context though about about Reddit, uh, just in general, getting the news from it. Maybe some of the bad things is. Uh, I was just gonna uh, get into the bad shit because yeah, as, I, as helpful as this, as helpful as it can be, oh my uh, god, there are some really bad things. I'll go over. I, I had two major general ones written down, and then we can get into it. Go for Basically, it. Basically, go for it. There's there's two separations of places you can go to Reddit where you can get political mm-hmm. news from. There's the mainstream, like gigantic subreddits like politics mm-hmm. or news that yes. have like, you know, a shitload of traffic all the time and a lot mm-hmm. of daily interaction, but they are so unbelievably liberally, like liberally I was about judged to say. that yeah. there's no se- there's no sort of bipartisanship that takes place there. Every news story that appears on the front page that has... Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of interaction, a lot of upvotes, a lot of awards mm-hmm. are only, you know, pro-democratic or pro-liberal like yeah. like liberal action uh, stories. I, I don't think I've ever seen, you know, any sort of, like, conservative stories that have been celebrated on, like, the uh-huh. largest, you know, sources of news on Reddit, which is yeah. pretty problematic, honestly. And then similarly, on the flip side of the coin... If you go to really like niche communities, like uh, mm-hmm. ones that are you know maybe for like one specific candidate or politician or just some Feel like specific bird. ideology, those have a tendency to really quickly just become like shitty echo chambers where yeah there's no there's no sort of variation in um, in what's actually talked about or like there's no arguments of like hey, our candidate just said this. Is this actually good or bad? It's like, everything's good if you're against, you know, if you're if you're against all the conservative stuff, you're a communist. If you're against any of the liberal stuff, you're a fascist. Like, it yeah. devolves very quickly if you're not careful. Yeah, so that was going to say, uh, I was just going to preface too, is before going into Reddit, and I think you and I are definitely smart enough to recognize this, but we can still find enjoyment out of it. Is Reddit as a whole is definitely more left or, or liberal, um, for sure, uh, just for the reasons you just said. When you when you see something on r slash world news, which, by the way, is supposed to be more for than the United States, which it never is. It's just like, like here's how Trump's going to get impeached for like the sixth time in like August 2018. Or just like... <laughs> um, which is not actual factual stories and more just kind of clickbaity titles of things that potentially could happen. And like you said, they don't they don't favor they definitely favor a leaning and they don't really encourage too much of of discussions from both sides of the aisle. And it's kind of crazy too because I noticed it on like like have you ever seen R slash libertarian who like aren't actually libertarians? <laughs> yes, like, that's one of my like, favorite places to like hate read stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that that'll happen too. Like R slash libertarian is uh is definitely a very like lib liberal libertarian in the way that they'll <laughs> they will just post shit that that like totally I, I don't think normal or hardcore libertarians would agree with, but the sub has become like so pulled to the left that like it just like ends up that way. So the counterpoint to it, like you were saying before, is there's r slash libertarian memes, which is an actual libertarian subreddit, but they're so libertarian to the point where they're an echo chamber with themselves. They're basically the, they'll basically just do the exact same thing where they'll be like, well, here's like an actual, maybe more hardcore libertarian stance. And if you don't agree with it, then you just like giving your, like all your money away to Bernie Sanders and you, know, you don't <laughs> deserve an opinion, but like, like shit like that will happen all over the place. So you kind of have to go into Reddit with the mindset. Uh, you have to have context. You have to a understand the context of what you're going into and kind of what kind of news you're going to get. Because um, if you do, you can learn to take some things seriously and some things less seriously. Um, so I think what you said about the pro about the speed of Reddit is great, but the interpretation of events is very quickly skewed to one side, um, and you kind of have to be able to pull what the facts are coming from that to just get the story. Um, you you should be able to get the facts from a story because it's quick. Ignore the implicit bias that's being placed on it by everybody responding to it or upvoting it, but then enjoy the memes that shit posted about three hours later. And if you could do all that, it's great. It, it, it's like it actually it's an is. art form. It really yeah. is to actually like understand what like a what people are talking about from yeah. um like from stories that pop up, and then b be able to like you know weed out the um, like the partisan bias from uh-huh. like this, the, what's actually going on. And it's, uh-huh. it's, <laughs> it's usually a lot of fun to do, uh-huh. but sometimes it's exhausting when you, when you like read something like, Oh my God. I, okay. I saw this earlier um, on, um, I think it was on actually like r slash politics, which I yeah. has like upwards. No, it has more than like 10 million subscribers. So this is yeah. it's a massive fucking community. The highest upvoted post at one point today was literally just like this this probably BuzzFeed article that was talking about how Nancy Pelosi has like an executioner's outfit uh, because yeah, she wore the same too. she wore the same outfit for both of Trump's inauguration hearings and impeachment hearings. Yes, yes, sorry, yeah. impeachment hearings. Um, definitely not inauguration hearings, but. Uh, it was so funny because it had like it had like seventy thousand upvotes, a shitload of comments, like like probably thousands of dollars worth of awards spent on it, mm-hmm. and then someone in political compass memes. God bless these people. Oh my God, Granny! Brilliant. Seriously? <laughs> All right, both of you need to shut the fuck up because we're still doing this. Um, uh, goodbye. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Granny. Appreciate that one. <laughs> Oh, that's fucking brilliant. Okay. Basically, Nancy Pelosi, this post, um, someone on, some brilliant person on Political Compass Memes, one of our favorite places mm-hmm. of, of all time, uh, throws throws that picture of the post with like how popular it is and everything onto the lib left <laughs> section of the compass next uh-huh. to, next to I think what are called like Wozaks. And it's like... <laughs> 
and it's basically just this person drinking like soy milk out of their own like dick, like their own brain it's just like yes this is so important while another person is like in the middle of dying and is like i need health care please make it socialized it's so funny because it it essentially gives the like layers of irony of you know what's actually celebrated between people that share political uh-huh. news on on reddit versus what you know those ideologies actually stand for and it's yeah. the contrast sometimes is so unbelievably stark that it's it's like it's it's like shark bait for these people who can you know turn it into uh turn it into funny moments it's great because like subreddits like the ones we like to go on the political comments means and neoliberal i think it found a, a like a perfect sweet spot because they'll they'll post such ironic shit that the mainstream subreddits who are so like like uh like partisan will like think they're being personally attacked by them i remember like r slash like either conservative or way of the burn like literally both sides are like like here's a political compass meme like that's like actually like super serious and is is not actually funny and and is you know harassing either the left or the right and uh it's like when you read that shit you're like are you fucking serious this is a subreddit about posting little wojack faces and like super like ironic shit on a on a like you know the four axes of the political compass and uh and like these people start taking it as like a personal attack to their ideology like something great about the political compass meme subreddit is everybody in there who's regardless of where you are on the political compass can enjoy the memes because they like oh look there's where i'm at here's like where everybody else is and the whole package is fucking hilarious like i don't think anybody's mad or gets angry at political compass memes if they take if they like recognize it for what it is Um, no actually oh sorry go ahead no i was gonna say go for it it's uh it is such a beautiful place in that yeah everybody recognizes you're essentially there to kind of make fun of everybody you know depending on where you fall make fun of everybody else's ideology but also recognize like the shortcomings of your own at times and then also like champion it sometimes when uh certain things go your way and they work um Mm -hmm. but also uh, like i've i once stumbled upon a discussion about a land value tax on there that was like Mm -hmm. a hundred comments long in a thread Mm -hmm. and it was like so well laid out and like the people arguing were like treating each like other with respect and providing yeah. sources and it, it wasn't just like you're a dumb fuck because like you're a republican <laughs> and like yeah. that would you know that would have like a sh- you know like ten thousand upvotes and you know ten ten platinums and golds on like on uh-huh. you know the po- the politics subreddit and that other person would probably be banned but in this case it was like act like a legitimate discussion that yeah. you could you could actually gain things from and that's kind of what you want when you like go searching for these sorts of things so yeah it's brilliant and well, then the I was gonna flips, say, go for it i was gonna say the the thing we like and i think we should maybe embrace a little bit to a fault recently is the r slash neoliberal subreddit which is uh you know a certain ideology but it's definitely painted through the lens of like let's try to f- like be bipartisan and, and solve issues logically slash like let's look at data like i don't know how else to describe it because i'm not really i wouldn't call myself like a neoliberal but it's something where i I at least find like more common ground with right so um but those smaller communities um like really rare can like acknowledge the faults of of their own ideology and discuss it and won't like start banning people that disagree with them like 
r slash neoliberal will post things about like democrats and republicans and just like general events going on and there'll be like civilized discussions like you said uh and then they recognize when like an outside source comes in to like try and disrupt it um because somebody came in i remember reading have you ever seen the the why do you hate the global poor joke going on in the r slash neoliberal subreddit <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so basically they they found it that there was this time that they were having a really civilized discussion on some post about some appointment or whatever and some like super either left or right person came in it was like yeah, well, if you truly are neoliberal, why do you hate the global poor or some shit like that? <laughs> and instead of, like, banning that guy or, like, downvoting to a million, like, a million, they, like, mean the shit out of it constantly. So, like, anytime someone posts something, like, slightly controversial or, like, just offering a slightly different opinion to have a discussion on, it's, like, like 10 threads of, like, actual, like, really super nice discussion. But, like, the top pinned comment is always, like, why do you hate the global war? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny as fuck. And, like, honestly, it's great. Yeah. Oh, those places are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, we just we just talked about two, you know, niche communities that are kind of awesome to be in and we've, you know, actually gained some useful stuff from. And then on the flip side, there are these communities that are are you know f- basically full of the same exact person. Like you could tell me, a lot of these places are just filled with bots that like uh-huh. use natural language processors to essentially uh-huh. have conversations with each other. Oh yeah. Um, my favorite examples of these uh, were over this summer when the Democratic nomination was going on and candidates were dropping like flies. Uh-huh. The day Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race was oh my like, God. it was like a historic day. I remember, I can't remember, I, I know that we exploded. talked about it. it. We talked about it as soon as it happened. And uh, I went to, well, as a, as a little bit of context, there are probably 20 or more <laughs> like individual pro Bernie subreddits, all with different uh-huh. names. There's like, the actual Bernie Sanders one. There's Wave the Burn. There's uh, oh R slash like, Democratic Socialism is the. Oh my God! Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I remember I had like kind of scoured these places in the build up to this because it looked like it was gonna happen. And I was trying to gain like like how you know what are his supporters thinking? Are they gonna like who are they gonna flock to if he drops out? And I went to probably five subreddits in like three minutes, and I found no posts about like, yeah, oh, Bernie's dropping out, like all these oh, yeah. things. It was all censored, or like nobody tried to post it. There was yeah. no discussion about it. One of them, legitimately, the most recent posted thing was like, uh, you know, even if Bernie does drop out, here's how he can re-enter as like an independent and gain some <laughs> gain some popularity <laughs> for himself. And like at some point, I thought this was just gonna be. I thought it was like all ironic. I was like, wait, this can't actually be real. Like, you guys. Here's how Bernie can still win. Like this. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Well, do you remember? I I the day that happened, I remember you telling me about that, and then I went on there to look, and I sent you the story. One of the top stories off of one of the subreddits was. Not the fact that Bernie dropped out, but it was, uh, here's how Bernie Sanders helped win another Senate seat for somebody else. Like, not even their own campaign did it. Like, it was like, here's something, a complete separate event that happened, and let me give all the credit to Bernie, while not acknowledging the fact that Bernie just dropped out of the presidential race. It was, like, the craziest thing. It was, like, like just a common conscious to know to not talk about it, because they just, like, can't accept the reality of that shit happening. Yeah, it's, it was... 
unbelievable to a certain extent. Um, another, <laughs> another like incredible example that I just thought of was uh, before Donald Trump's main subreddit got banned <laughs> on yeah. Reddit. Um, I would go there. I, I would actually go there like quite a lot right after the 2016 election because yeah. the contrast between what was put on there versus like other political subreddits at the time was oh, yeah. so glaring because it would be uh, I, I would go there or I would see news that like, you know, Trump is putting together his plan for like the wall, the border wall uh, between uh-huh. the U.S. and Mexico. And I would go to like like the politics, like, yeah, politics subreddit to see, you know, what their take on this story is. And they're like, he's not going to have the money. He's not going to have, you know, like the support to do it. Like, it's not going to be like logistically possible. And then I would go to the Donald and mm. literally it would be like it would be like comment chains of like the same like five, <laughs> the same like <laughs> chant sayings like over and all over and over. It'd be like the wall just got ten feet higher. Commented like uh, yeah. ten times in a row. Or Here's how like, Donnie like is that. the second coming of Christ. It's like Jesus Christ. Like that. I think that's one of the cooler things about Reddit though is a you can visit both communities because when you like are on Facebook and like start to show interest in that you quickly get filtered into one of those groups and they like don't recognize you're in the echo chamber right like i think that's a super problem among like like boomers to be honest on like facebook is like when they get news <laughs> they don't recognize they're in an echo chamber like not everyone is seeing the same story not everyone's getting the same take on an event like and and, they, and everyone believes it's true everyone believes their own side is true and until you take that like outside lens and physically see the different groupings of people like you can on Reddit. Like I said, like most people don't even recognize they're they're in it. it it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's oh my god, it's it is another one of the um the pros of Reddit. It's it's uh-huh. it's, it's um it's not out to make money. Well, actually, yeah. I shouldn't say that. It is a corporation. It is it is out to make money, but you're right in that you are able to visit pretty much any community you want and you're not Mm -hmm. like you know put under an algorithm for what you think well they still suggest things you might like but it's not you don't get the the content that you see is not selectively featured towards you and the choices that you see it's your own decisions and like where you want to go so uh i want to continue this conversation but we're taking a slightly different direction you ready let's hear it Let's uh let's talk about uh the the politicalization of some subreddits that like really kind of shouldn't be. Um, so the the prime example I know you and I talked about this before is the stark contrast between r slash economics and r slash bad economics. Oh, I'm so uh, glad you brought this shit up. Oh my yeah. god, I'm really excited for this. Okay, yeah. So so a little context for this one is uh, there are two subreddits that of course us as economics uh, economists or economic students who people who study economics uh, like to visit because we're like oh cool like this is what we're studying we like to see what other people who are studying it, like viewing things like you know that's one of the more like communities we obviously are invested in so r slash economics uh like initially back in the day was pretty cool you get a couple cool stories about interest rates or or some like actual economic perspectives and then there was a section devoted to like academic papers and research um and i remember the day i i came to the realization because it was like r slash subreddit drama or some shit like that made a really long post of r slash economics was in like in a heavy like political debate over like housing or something like that 
and and you would click on the thread to see what they were talking about, and uh, and you would realize through this guy who posted all these examples that the people on r slash economics aren't economists like whatsoever they're just the same people who are on these other political subreddits just reposting the same stories to other subreddits and the echo chamber suddenly starts branching to other subreddits right so um the the way you kind of get around this or we found to get around this was um there's a uh um, subreddit called r slash bad economics which is actual like modeling economists who talk about statistical issues with either claims or research papers or like stories in the news so basically you would go over to r slash bad economics and the post would be like okay here's all the econometric reasons what this guy just posted to r slash economics is wrong and why he doesn't know anything what the fuck he's talking about and it's but but to the outsider like you wouldn't you wouldn't know that right so um yeah what, what's what's your thoughts on it there john so yes I, it was it was unbelievable. I started to follow a whole bunch of these subreddits, kind of like junior senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool" because I get headlines. Like, I'm actually on the economic subreddit right now because I I just found a fucking great example of this. But oh, yeah. you get headlines like uh, uh, like the unemployment rate is above 20% for the lowest paid workers, you know, oh, yeah. from the Fed, like from a, a Fed worker. And I'm like, "Oh, that, mm-hmm. that's actually like you know useful information, right?" And it's yeah. like kind of cool to know and stay like in the know of uh, what's actually going on. And then I realized, you know, the top post of all time is literally uh-huh. 65% of Americans support monthly $2,000 COVID stimulus payments, new poll yeah. shows, from a mm-hmm. website that has that's basically running on, like, like nuts and bolts and a hamster. And yeah. when you click on it, it's, it's obviously very, you know, democratically funded. And the yeah. comments, the comments are legitimately like, like, uh, it's just... <laughs> it's another actually oh my god it's brilliant okay i just scrolled across this one the first comment goes look i'm not good at economics but i'm really confused how canada and other more left first world countries were able to pay people two thousand dollars a month <laughs> while we can't and like things like that like obviously yeah. that's a real question right for yeah. uh for someone to ask but at the same time every other answer underneath him is like it's because the government didn't want to like send it out at first or little things like that it's unbelievable there's no like economic analysis there's no studies Uh being linked Uh there's no like essentially there's no proof to anything that anyone says on here yeah the first the first thing that you point out is a the fucking the actual article is not like an economic research paper which you and i've read all the time it's fucking like a buzzfeed article (laughs) like basically and then and then i remember the time there was a post and the top post was like it was a controversial take just like you said and uh and the first like top pin comment was basically this guy arguing why this like basically like why free education or this kind of more left-leaning idea policy is like a good idea and anybody who opposes a nazi or some shit like that but he at least tried to throw some economic analysis in there he's like oh here's like imagine like schooling supply and and student demand and then you get through his entire like six page long explanation filled with political rantings and the top comment is some guy saying, "Dude, you drew you drew the fucking supply and demand graph wrong, you fucking idiot." <laughs> it's like it's like these people aren't actually like anywhere near or any resemblance of professionalism in economics, and they're and it's dangerous because to an outsider perspective who doesn't know that you would almost take these people as like 
like word for word or like historical fact, which they're not. It's it's just the way that it is. It's the way that it's structured. And if you mm-hmm. put enough effort into a post, even if you're mm-hmm. completely fucking wrong, some people will mm-hmm. believe you. Yeah. It is dangerous, that, uh, but uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, then you just get the opposite, like we said earlier, where there is a subreddit that was literally born out of this corruption of the r slash economics r slash bad economics, which is not like, let's post shitty takes about economics, but let's post shitty take about economics and then talk about why they're wrong economically, not politically, but like, let's talk about why this guy just drew his supply and demand graph wrong and what he's trying to imply is not how economic theory works, which is more of the nuts and bolts that I know I was looking for when I was first trying to find this stuff on Reddit. Yeah, it's actually, it's brilliant. And mm-hmm. um, I actually got to give, I got to give a lot of these people props because mm-hmm. uh, the bad economic subreddit does like legitimately like weekly discussions on like house price release data or like the jobs, yeah. you know, job Friday shit like that. But uh, some people on here, I'm pretty sure are like legitimate, like some of them might be tenured like academic economists because some mm-hmm. of the work that's done on here it was the first I, I once saw my senior year when I first stumbled across this. Some guy legitimately did like a Lagrangian breakdown of <laughs> like choice preferences. And I was like uh, I, I looked at it and I was like, Oh, I'm not smart enough to like study economics, yeah. huh? And then, you know, I actually rediscovered it when we were in micro and I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I kind of understand this now. Maybe I'm getting to this level. But it is it's awesome because there is uh like there's there's a place of sanity at some yeah. point for uh, for us to retreat to to, be, to understand like okay yes these are all clickbait headlines and a lot of people agree but at the same time like they're wrong and there's yeah. at least a group of people that can show you why they're wrong yeah and it's not that like I agree or disagree with anything somebody posts but when I go to r slash economics I'm looking for news about the economy that's not BuzzFeed articles and and like hot takes about people who've literally never taken an economics class right so when I when I find that 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 calm in the storm of, of someone actually telling me like oh so you know here's an actual you know data and something to back it up and here's the econometric modeling and all that that's at least like closer to what i consider fact and something i would trust definitely more uh and take more seriously because that's and that's what we learned and that's why you know we were, we seek it out initially oh i just found such a good example of this so back in back in the early stages of the pandemic when the federal mm-hmm. reserve gave they they increased uh res- what's it called increased reserve requirements and also gave 280 billion dollars in liquidity for banks yeah uh which is kind of like a difficult concept to understand like what that actually means reddit like like really far socialist subreddits went mm-hmm. fucking crazy over this because they were like yeah. why don't you use that 280 billion dollars to like completely eviscerate student loans or like all these things yeah without realizing one i mean primarily it's just not the same type of money you can't just do yeah. that and two, the Federal Reserve operates completely differently than the government. And yeah. so literally the second post on bad economics is someone like reposting something from a boring dystopia, which is another uh-huh. place I'd love to go like hate read things. Yeah. And it's literally talking about like the $280 million. And it's like, why is this money going to banks and not like the poor people who need it and shit? And the title, <laughs> the title for this bad economics thing is just bra. <laughs> like, no understand these things. It's incredible. 
Yeah, have you uh, have you ever like thought about the dual mandate of the Federal Reserve? Do you know? Uh, do you know what they do? It's, it's not. <laughs> it's it's not create uh, bills and policies. That's for sure. It's, it's also uh, not giving handouts to poor people. Not that you uh, know they don't. Not that they hate poor people, but like <laughs> I don't know. It's just not how shit works. But yeah, my God, these <sighs> Reddit can be a a very. Uh, very helpful place, a very funny place, but also a very detrimental place if you don't do it right. Yeah, I want to. If we're gonna move off this conversation, we definitely can't. But I do want to end it on, a, on an extreme high note because there's a certain subreddit that I believe changed our our lives altogether. Oh, uh, fuck definitely, yes, absolutely, de- definitely, definitely influenced uh, some very stupid decisions in grad school, which is the beautiful subreddit of r slash Wall Street bets. Uh, <laughs> which, for a little context for those of you who don't know is a subreddit about doing really stupid shit on the stock market and either you make it or break it um, in terms of whether you get rich in a day or not. So like uh, a common example of this is you would see uh, somebody who just purchased uh, a call or a put at a super popular company um, and the reason they're doing it is for the meme and even though we're doing it for the meme, I put $500,000 into it and uh, if I lose that five hundred thousand dollars, I'll just post on the subreddit, tell people people tell me to go kill myself and uh, buy rope calls, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and my life moves on. So basically, it's just like a rich person's playground of of how to like lose stupid shit on the market really quickly. And I've learned so much from it; it's unbelievable. <laughs> What's your experience with it, John? No, so you were actually the one that exposed me to it because I had had a like I had seen it a little bit around Reddit when I was in college, but I was like I was way too intimidated by the shit that got put on there to actually like check it out. And then you showed me some of the like the most you know some of their highlights of like the the irony man with his fucking margin (laughs) call wizardry and things like that. And thankfully we had just gotten into it to see the the guh guy, which another fucking legend. But um. You guys got me into it kind of right after we made that uh, how much money can we make in a week like mm-hmm. trading stocks bet. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say like I did amazingly like I learned more about the stock market in two weeks following mm-hmm. Wall Street bets, you know, like like not advice, but reading what they were doing and trying to translate it to like what is actually going, what are they like, mm-hmm. you know, cause they speak in, they speak in an entirely different language from, you know, yeah. normal people. And so yeah. figuring out what they were actually talking about, I was like, oh, so that's how this shit works. And like, that's how you would execute that on, yeah. you know, on like, you know, our favorite place, Robin Hood. But yeah. uh, I also, it got me, it legitimately got me once we started actually trading options, which was dangerous. It got me to start waking up for market opens every single day for a while when I actually had money invested into it. Like I would legitimately set like four alarms from like like 7:55 to like you know 7:59 to get my ass up and like watch my market open on you know a call or a put I had. And it like I don't know I've never had I've never had a community that changed my behavior like that except for Wall Street Uh bets. The place where some guy legitimately lost 1.2 million dollars of not even his own money in four seconds. Yeah, and then like the amount of just crazy shit you realize about our financial system too, or just like how shitty of a brokerage Robinhood is. The uh, um, the fucking Irony Man guy is a great story about a dude who figured out how to do something called a box spread. Uh, on Robinhood, which he didn't even know quite what that was, and basically what happened is he threw like four grand into it, 
and he was doing these box spreads and uh he basically made this big long post about like hey this is something cool i did uh this can't go tits up it's literally free money like all this really like one-liner shit that totally was no way true whatsoever and everybody started telling him like hey dude you need to get out of this right now or you're about to lose absolutely everything and uh he, this dude ends up some, Robin Hood found it and started executing the calls on his box spread or something like that. And he posts a screenshot of him being down negative $50,000. Like out of his $4,000 investment, he suddenly owed Robin Hood like $50,000 on a margin call. And, uh, um, but he posts a story like two weeks later about in reality, he may owe Robin Hood $50,000 through their, like what that says on their app. But in reality, he cashed out at $14,000, made 10 grand from this, and then deleted his account. Because Robin Hood never saw anybody do this before. So he, uh, he not only gets away with not having to pay 50 grand, he fucked up so bad he actually gained $10,000. Uh, when on paper he was at like a ninety like nine negative ninety nine percent loss. And it made no fucking sense, but the guy's a legend now. Like they, they idolize him on that subreddit and it's fucking hilarious. Tendies secured. Yeah. <laughs> Tesla yeah. puts money secured, money printer on. Yeah, it's just a bunch of lingo. It's it's great. It is great. And that actually mm-hmm. no, that's I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that helps me transition mm-hmm. to the next thing. Which mm-hmm. That's a very niche community that we appreciate because it's yeah. hilarious. And even though like, even though these people are toxic as fuck, it's like wholesome because like you said, when, you know, when someone will lose like $600,000 on one movement, <laughs> they'll just, they'll, you know, their first thought isn't like, shit, I am now $600,000, you know, poor. Their first thought is really like, I need to post this to wall street bets because people <laughs> will really love fucking seeing this. Yeah, um, and, the, and then the top comments will be people telling me to go kill myself after I just lost 600 grand on the stock market. It's <laughs> it's actually crazy. It's beautiful. But uh, just kind of in general, something that I've noticed from, from just being online and I guess more mature and more aware of it now is that there's an unbelievable amount of just toxicity in all of these sort of like niche communities for virtually anything. And some Mm. of it doesn't make any fucking sense. So, (laughs) for instance, um, a while back in the Smash Bros. community, there were a whole bunch of arguments about, like, uh, it was right before the the release of um, Smash Bros. on the Switch. And Mm -hmm. since people were so fucking tired of the new Smash, or, like, the the Smash on the Wii U, which kind of sucked. Yeah. there was nothing left to do but hype that game up and then argue about whether which you know smash game was the most superior between like Mm -hmm. smash 4 and melee and those arguments on twitter would get so fucking bad that you'd have people calling each other like racial slurs with like anime and the only thing they had to go by were like anime profile pictures and so (laughs) like i it it devolves so fast with certain people and then like Here's here's XX Sonic 69 main with a really fucked up Sonic profile picture calling another person like like just absolutely everything under the like the sun because they thought fucking like Cloud shouldn't be in Smash. It, it makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense. And then so I have I have two more examples of this. The next one, not even that long ago. I forgot if I told you about this, but not that long ago, sometime sometime earlier this fall. The world of academia Twitter had 
this beef going on where different like actual tenured professors from like all sorts of disciplines were arguing over which discipline was more like scientifically valid and the basis for their arguments were their fucking GRE scores. Their math. <laughs> their math GRE scores. I'm not shitting you. This happened for like two weeks where like professors from pretty much all over the world and like not not only not like small schools, like fucking Ivy Leagues were going after each other like my you know, you can't question my results because I got a one seventy on my fucking quant <laughs> score for my GRE. And it was crazy. And you know, I, I don't think it ever got I, I mean, I guess I didn't explore far enough to see if it actually got into, you know, like the racial slur calling, but uh, it was so bad where people were like eviscerating each other's papers over like over nothing just to say like, oh, I think, you know, my results in economics are more scientifically valid than yours in fucking mm-hmm. physics, which has yeah. absolutely no translation between the two. But no. it was just like dick measuring contest for no yeah, reason. Know, that's so fucking petty, dude. That reminds me of like. Did you have this in high school where, like, after you took the ACT or the SAT for the first time, and everybody would, like, try to find out, like, whose scores they were better at, and then, like, just act super fucking superior about it? Like, that shit happened all the time by us, but that that's basically the same thing that was happening here, but with, like, full PhD tenured professors. Yeah, it was so fucked up. It was so, so fucked up. And then... Um, you know, I was actually going to bring up League, but we're going to save we're going to save that shit for Will actually thinking about it. Okay. My last example then is in the in the world of like online sports Twitter. Uh mm-hmm. you like I will be able to click on any professional athlete, any major professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And the first few posts under like any sort of tweet they have it could be like a sponsored like fucking like Gatorade ad or something like that where it's obviously not them tweeting the all of the replies will be like you're fucking washed or like like <laughs> fucking trade this guy right now he's a bum and they're talking about like LeBron James or like some shit <laughs> like that or like in like Reddit game threads which I used to go to because they were kind of fun to just like see what people were saying as shit happened I, I have henceforth stopped because if things weren't going like a certain team's way, you would just have like death threats getting thrown around. Like, like, you know, the Packers would score and some bears fan would be like, I'm going to fucking kill the next (laughs) Packer fans family that comments or shit like that. It was awful. And it's, I don't know if it's just like the main question I guess I have is, do you think this is just a feature of online communities in general due to like anonymous nature of essentially being able to post anything you want and get away with it? Or is there just more to it where it's, you know, any sort of um, even like any sort of hobby that you might end up having or any like group you're going to be a part of. There's just like those people that exist in it that are going to mm-hmm. act like that. Well, I definitely think uh, for sure it's a little bit of both, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to think if we're just like becoming more toxic over time, which is just really funny. Um, because, <laughs> because I like to think in 99% or not 99, but in like 90% of the things I do, I'm not that toxic. Like, I don't think I was ever really toxic about academia or anything like that, but like I got all my toxicity out through league. Uh, and I, I fully embraced it. Like I'll, I'll tell people to just like fucking play better and, and like some really horrific shit. Um, may, mostly to get away with it, but more is just an outlet which is really funny because I think that connects to the second part is like your hobby or something you really love 
doing or just enjoy doing uh, can serve a couple purposes. Like there was always toxic sports fans, right? I mean, there was always a Bears Packers, you know, rivalry, rivalry. But there's always someone who will take it like just a step too far, like constantly. But I think the issue now is those people have more of a platform uh, nowadays because like it, it was it was, you know, it was pretty common to find one or two people in like a like a close knit friend group that were kind of like that or a little bit more toxic. But now you can start grouping those people together and they could start like echo chambering like one another Um so, like, suddenly the guy who says, like, I'm going to go kill, like, the next Packer, like, fan's family, suddenly has, like, any other, you know, idiots agreeing with him. And now the top post, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's my question to you. Do you think we're getting more toxic over time? God, I really hope not. Uh-huh. I, You're definitely right that it's easier to find people that might share your, like, your internal uh, negative viewpoints, and that just makes it easier to come out when, you know, <laughs> if if someone goes online and is like, I'm kind of secretly a racist, but I don't want to like say it. But then all of a sudden yeah. they find this community where like everybody else is a racist. They're gonna be like, yeah. oh, so I can do this now and like participate yeah. in it. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I I don't think people are getting more toxic. I I think it's part of it is just the the ease of how or i guess the the availability of um kind of finding whatever you want like any anything that happens in the world you can you can put a spin on it right and so if you want to believe like one you know this this event that happened is going to be beneficial for you in like xyz case yeah. you can find something that will support you whether you know how how factually accurate it is or not can be questioned but mm-hmm. there's there's always going to be some place you can turn to for uh, just anything to make you feel better rather than challenging your beliefs and it's a lot yeah. easier to do that than it is to like find something that goes against what you think and then change from it mm-hmm. so i think that would be the phil- philosophical uh side of things but fuck it's also a definite possibility that for a lot of people that kind of grew up online that are a little bit younger than us, uh, they <laughs> they might have just learned, you know, different etiquette rules than us yeah. and are uh, a, a lot more a lot more um, more into <laughs> calling people terrible things on the internet. Yeah. Well, I definitely think just thinking about it now, it definitely has to do with like competitiveness, like in any aspect. As long as there's like a ounce of like making something competitive i think you could just make the jump to toxicity super quickly so like uh the example i gave earlier is like uh like in academia like when i was in high school and stuff like i remember my friend group being like super toxic about um and like kind of really putting each other down over which you know what their act score was and what college they were going to like they somehow would like think even though we were all in different disciplines and this was kind of like the mentality of of part of high school was like um that if i was going to like if i had a better act score than you i was just assumed to be smarter and then if i was going to a better college than you even though we're not in the same discipline i was somehow superior and i could be toxic to you i don't know if you had that stuff in high school but like anything that you can make even slightly competitive i think just opens the door way too much to toxicity nowadays that's actually shit. That's actually 
a really good point because mm-hmm. all of these, all the examples I gave and the example you gave are centered mm-hmm. around like competitive stuff. Mm-hmm. So, God, I guess you're right. Uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, Sometimes it's really uh, disheartening to see, but yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say we, you and I just played a game of uh, Rocket League earlier, and like, <laughs> like it's so easy because there's no consequence to it, right? And it's not like I'm doing that terrible stuff in Rocket League, but it's so easy to just like start start really like BMing people. It's almost like a feature of the game, which is a little by design, but um, yeah, I think it's just it's. Yeah, maybe you're right. It kind of has to do with the the internet and stuff, where it's just easier to hide your identity and kind of get away with that. Like if I tried being toxic to someone in person, they're gonna just be like, "Dude, what the fuck are you on about? Like, calm <laughs> calm the hell down." But, um, but no, I still definitely think it exists out of that. There's been definitely like situations where like something is like simple or a simple hobby can just turn to like really quickly to like it's us versus them or like anybody who doesn't do this hobby the same way I do is like not a true fan or stuff like that like it's it seems like maybe it's just kind of getting older and we just notice that more but like i remember just enjoying things for the sake of enjoying things um but even now you could look up basically almost anything and find some effort of toxicity to it because almost everything has a little bit of competitiveness to it like yeah you may find a group of uh, people who like to like bake cakes or whatever, but there's always gonna be like, oh, I can bake a better cake than you, and because of that, then you're not really a a true hobbyist or whatever, right? So, it's uh, I actually I actually think we're just getting more toxic. I, I think it's I think it's people cooped up and spending more time at their computer and realizing that they're not necessarily they don't have to display their personality, their outgoing personality on the internet, and they can kind of be whatever they want. And I think some systems just make it so easy to to become toxic, and some communities become so toxic that's even, like, encouraged. Like, I know we'll save the league thing for when Will comes around, but, like, <laughs> like honestly, from the first time you've played league, there, there was pretty much an expectation that, like, you can be as toxic as you want, and there's, like, little or no repercussions. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll say this one thing about League and then and then mm-hmm. leave the rest. But I you you know me. I'm a I'm usually a very you know um, I'm reserved when when I get ang- when I get angry about things. I usually don't express like like mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't I don't verbalize things when things go wrong. Um, something I've been grateful for and definitely something that's been that's been built up over just a long time of playing sports and dealing with other shit. But mm-hmm. I have never gotten upset, like more upset and had to say something about it than when we fucking play league games. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it comes out of me, but it's the worst when when certain just unique scenarios only to league uh-huh. happen and yeah. it's so demoralizing and upsetting and rage inducing to the point where I'll say something in a chat and I'm like, why the fuck like I would never say this to anybody in real life, but like I had to say it there or else my brain was going to explode. And it's, it's like, it's just kind of the worst feeling, but at the same time, it's almost inescapable. Yeah. That shit comes out to me even when we're over like voice comms. Like there'll be a, (laughs) I'll definitely have a heated gamer moment where we should have won something or done something. I thought everyone was on the same page and it's just the, 
you know, the teamwork that's involved in that game. And when things don't go the right way, um, like I'll, I'll definitely get upset. Cause like, but that happens in like regular sports too, right? When like a, when you're when you're like a star of a sports team or whatever, and you you don't win, you're like you get angry at the people around you, and you're like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you know, why why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? And it's just it comes out of you, dude. I, I don't know. I don't think that's really exclusive to league, but it's definitely a very noticeable in league. Yeah, that's for damn sure. My mm-hmm. goodness. All right, before we get too much in the league, we're gonna mm-hmm. switch up to something that's a little bit similar, actually. We are really we are both really really into board games as well mm-hmm. as video games yes um yeah. uh so much so that i keep leaving like boxes of board games at your fucking apartment for like months on end because i yes. was too la- yes, too lazy to bring them back with me and it's something that i mean obviously everybody just kind of enjoys games at some point mm-hmm. like they're designed for fun. They're designed to kill time. They're um, they're made just to be you know to for entertainment. But at the same time, there's kind of something to be said about the differences in what you really enjoy of like mm-hmm. a really good board game versus a really good video game. And so mm-hmm. what I wanted to get into was how y- how both of us kind of got sucked into the culture of like. Uh, kind of really, really enjoying board games and video games, and kind of, kind of why they appeal to us so much. And so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give mine and see if you know, see if they make any sense, and then yeah. I want to hear yours after that. But for me, learning how to play a lot of board games and especially card games was a mm-hmm. huge part of my family culture. Where, mm-hmm. um, like as early as like when I was like six or seven. When my family moved out to Iowa, my grandparents, uh, especially my mom's mom, my grandma, would visit us for, you know, like a week or so at a time. And I would get excused from school while she was back to, like, hang out with her. And mm-hmm. during that time, she would teach me how to play, like, poker or, like, Sudoku or, mm-hmm. uh, like, all these other, like, little games and things like that. And I never would have learned otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually. And uh, then my family would like get really wrapped up in um, like board games. Like we started playing uh, things like Monopoly or the Game of Life or like all these other things. Pretty when I was pretty young, my brother was pretty young, and it just became this thing where we got you know not exactly like super competitive with each other, but it was one of those things where you realize like oh my god, everybody in the family really likes to do this. And it's just kind of like this bond that we're going to share. And then from there, it's especially lucky because then I would find, I did, not so much really until college, but then I would find friends who were like, hey, we're really into some of the, you know, more like competitive board games and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And you get you get really sucked into shit like that. Um, <laughs> and from there, I think it's just it's just been this thing where at least I appreciate board games so much. Mostly because it's kind of a te- they're tests of like your your adaptability, your ability to pick something up on the fly, and like kind of mm-hmm. your cleverness and like how well you can strategize with things. Because yeah. obviously there's you know tons of different types of board games and card games and things like that. But when you're learning something for the first time, or when you're playing like kind of these these extravagant games like Catan or uh, like when we try to teach people euchre. 
there's mm-hmm. elements of strategy to like winning these things that become really really fun to like pick up on and re- like find the pattern uh the patterns of success or like uh things that'll work out for you mm-hmm. that when you start to notice them you're like oh like this is kind of awesome and yeah. it's kind of just this common theme across all i guess <laughs> i should say good board games that you when you when you find like when you kind of get the the bones of it and you understand the details of what you're doing it just becomes this unique experience where you get to kind of immerse yourself within um within this this like i don't know how do i put it you get to immerse yourself within the the role that you're playing or like the idea of the game itself and Mm -hmm. you kind of get to choose how much fun you have which is what i Mm -hmm. really enjoy about them on the flip yeah, side that... of things, oh sorry, uh, no, no, I was just gonna it. real quick. On the flip side of things, I think video games, <laughs> I I started enjoying for almost the exact opposite reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I my first experience with actually like actually playing sinking a shitload of time into a video game was when my my dad's mom, a different grandma, got me Pokemon Sapphire for my Game Boy, <laughs> and I was chronically addicted to that for a while i've it's amazing on all every single podcast episode i've done so far i've managed to talk about pokemon games Mm -hmm. but uh from there i got like super into like madden video games because i was you know a little kid playing football and then obviously like Mm -hmm. like oh shit like there's video games about football that's awesome and then Mm -hmm. things like call of duty or uh like all these things all these you know other types of genre games you kind of just stumble upon and then you realize like oh wow these are like kind of nice little escapes into Mm -hmm. you know i'll finish all my responsibilities for a day and i want to like do something that's like that i enjoy but either like by myself or like in this like virtual world Mm -hmm. and personally i really enjoy competitive video games so Mm -hmm. i got really into things like uh well unfortunately things like league but also Mm -hmm. games like fifa or smash bros or even freaking tetris 99 but also the ones that have like creative aspects to them like city skylines or even like skyrim but something Mm -hmm. i don't really enjoy as much are the ones with like linear storylines like (laughs) um god what is it uh the one that everybody creams their pants for. I'm trying to think. The uh, The Last like, of Us. Like, oh, The Last, Last of, of Us. Us. Okay. Yeah, I, I've tried to play that game like twice. Never got mm-hmm. into it. Never will be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, so my... I guess my sort of contrast between the two is I play board games to kind of get the enjoyment and like sense of camaraderie with all the people that I play with. Mm-hmm. But video games are more like... I, I guess I use as like a distraction of... Um, you know, other things that I've done throughout the day, or yeah. uh, just to just when I need to like kill time, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, is that similar to I guess how you feel about it and how you got into these things, or do you have a different perspective on it? Uh, well, I'll start off by saying you and I had some very different childhoods. My my first video game I ever got was I got a PlayStation Two from Circuit City. Uh, and God uh, bless got, Circuit City. <laughs> when we got it, I got the Incredible Hulk game for it, and I remember playing that. Actually, I don't remember actually. I remember the the front of the disc. I don't remember playing it. 
But a week after I got my PlayStation 2, my my dad came home uh, thinking he would, like, play it too. Uh, it'd be, like, more of a family thing. And he came home... This is when I was, like, eight, by the way. He came home with uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City and, <laughs> Navy, and like, Navy SEAL, uh, like, Call of Duty clone, basically. Um, and that was my, my first experience with video games. So... Uh, my, I can remember like my dad not really liking to play video games, but liking me like watching play video games. Um, and, uh, he would just watch me like an eight year old son play, you know, Grand Theft Auto and run over hookers with a tank and shit like that. So, <laughs> uh, which was really funny, but me and my dad did have a, a game we played a lot, which was Starsky and Hutch, which is based off that old TV show, um, about like the two, you know, two cops basically and like uh like miami and they drive a super fast car and it's uh stuff like that so there was a starsky and hutch game but that game was actually co-op um so my dad would drive the car uh while i was the dude who shot the gun you know out of the side of the car so um i think that was kind of when i first recognized why i like playing video games for what it is is because i like the social aspect of it for sure uh like me uh you know playing games with my with my dad was was super cool because you know i was learning he was learning you know it was a really teamwork based thing and then i i grew up in a neighborhood that played a lot of video games i told you this once or twice that uh, i played madden 2 and our and our neighborhood would have like madden leagues um where everybody all the kids in the neighborhood would be in like the the newest madden league on the xbox or whatever and there would be draft nights and it would be like super intense and you'd like play against the other you know the neighbors down the street like on on week so it'd be it'd be really fun so i think i treat video games more as like a like a social tool for sure like i pretty express this pretty openly as of lately i'm not really a big fan of playing league anymore um (laughs) but the reason i will play it and will stop playing games i'm actually truly enjoying playing it's pretty much because I get to play it with you guys. Like we don't we don't live by each other nowadays. And I, I talk to you and Will basically every day, but it's it's basically a backdrop for our, our conversations is to play um, is to play video games over it. Um, so, but when I want to play a uh, talking about games I truly enjoy, I think I'm the opposite of you. Where I'll play games like League and Madden and call of duty for the social aspect to hang out with my friends i don't really find much enjoyment from those games at all and i find a lot of enjoyment in the single player linear games uh that that tell a good story and stuff like that like i love the last of us it's what it's one of my definitely favorite games um and i think that's just because uh it's it's something it's something different like i'm playing it for for myself and not playing it to like play with other people and especially if it's like a good story uh i i'm i'm all aboard for it so um at least on the video game sides of that i i like to balance the two i like to play you know my social games for a couple hours and play with you guys and either play call of duty or league and because it's something easy we can all play together um, and the alternative to that is like nobody wants to sit here, all four of us playing like something different, uh, and then like still talk to each other. It's basically we're all playing the same game, or we're not like playing any, you know, we're not even talking to each other, right? So, um, so for games like that, like I said, it's more of a social aspect, and then I I, I really enjoy the the linear single player games definitely for myself. Um, but for board games, it's kind of similar. 
uh, where um, like board games are like fun and all, but kind of turning playing board games into an event or like that's our plan for the night is kind of what I get enjoyment out of. Like um, I think it started with uh, like in high school and stuff. I, I went to uh, board game nights at one of the one of the bars with Colin and my high school friends. We would go every Tuesday. We would go, we'd play a bunch of board games, eat some greasy bar food, and then go home. And this was like a regularly Tuesday night thing. So it didn't really matter what games we were playing. It was just the fact that we got up and went. And it was like the highlight of the night, right? Because, um, and I think a more common example of what I really enjoyed and what I really enjoyed about grad school, um, especially is like, when I first got Scythe, it wasn't that I really wanted to play this board game Scythe. It was it was this really complicated board game that I wanted to learn with you, Jackson, and Will. And we several times turned it into like this crazy like four hour long night that would start like like Friday nights or Saturday nights in the middle of winter. And we'd first go out, we'd go get food, we'd get like insomnia cookies, we'd fucking <laughs> go pick up scythe from my apartment and walk you know three blocks through the blizzard to the bottom of the uh the you know into the office uh, at the basement when nobody else was there in the building and we'd be playing this really tactical like somewhat complicated board game that we all had to learn together and we get really funny moments of like jackson asking us like trying to do alliances like hey can you step out in the hallway so we can talk <laughs> how to screw over somebody um so like like the social aspect of of like doing that and putting that together for me is a lot more fun than the actual board game itself like scythe is great at all san juan is great and all but it's like who you're playing with and kind of what the board games bring out of your friends so like the the most common example is a very quick way i became friends with max Julie. Uh, Jackson and Will was I would get them together and force them to play Secret Hitler with one another um, because you quickly learn uh, like kind of who people are and and you know which personalities seep through and kind of you know how to get along with people when you're playing board games right because I mean you've been there you've played Secret Hitler with all of us you definitely get some you know heated moments you get some really clever shit and you know there's a lot of opportunities where two people who don't really like know each other that well or aren't as good as friends gets to do some really like cool shit together like when you're both like nazis or whatever but um so i definitely think my love for board games and video games definitely stem from the social aspect of it and more about who you're playing with than like what you're playing there's definitely there's definitely something to be said i i know i said i use video games mostly as an escape for you know for other things but you're absolutely right in the fact mm. that uh especially i guess a decent amount of the games i play today are only because you know you fuckers got me into them um mm. like uh like league which we spend way too much fucking time on but mm. um similarly uh there is there is a community aspect to those sorts of things too because i mean even with my college friends i just talked about this in my last episode with zach mm. a lot of the you know a lot of the times that we would play video games together, mostly Smash, sometimes it wouldn't even be about playing it. It would just be about like, hey, we need something to do while we talk to each other. And you're totally right yeah. about like, sometimes you just need a game as like a medium for that. Um, mm. But yeah, it's on the flip side uh, with board games, you're absolutely right in that like the collaboration 
uh, especially sometimes that you get either between like you know the the people that you've been hanging out with for a while or like the new like essentially new friends that you made it's yeah. such an accelerant to like get to know them and their habits mm-hmm. and like bring out the fun aspects of their personality that there's so much fun to um there's so much fun to just like throw in people's faces for the first time um mm-hmm. i had never played you brought it up i had actually never played secret hitler before until you guys mm-hmm. introduced me to it and it was just one day in the, our freaking basement office you were like get down here we're playing secret hitler and i was like well, what mm-hmm. the hell is that and all you told me was you're gonna really like it and you're gonna hear jackson yell a lot yeah <laughs> and that you're was gonna it hear jackson called people nazis this could be great i promise <laughs> and uh from from that moment on i was like oh my god this is you know obviously an incredible game but it was you're right it was such a great way to see like oh this is how everybody interacts with each other in like a casual fun environment and mm-hmm. kind of not really what to expect but just like an easy way to you know bond closer with people so mm-hmm. yeah well, i was god just saying damn. i I've I've just given a quick example. I've I've done it with people like who aren't necessarily uh, like close friends of ours. The uh, um, did I ever tell you about the time that it was me, uh, Jackson and and Nikki in the GA office, and we're like just killing time between class. And I was telling Jackson about San Juan, and then Nikki chimed in. She's like, "Oh, like like you guys talk about a board game or whatever." We we're like, oh yeah, and uh, so I went and grabbed, ran to my apartment at like two o'clock on a Wednesday, and I came back, and us three played that game for like two hours in the basement, and like I didn't know Nikki that well at the time, um, I knew Jackson obviously, but like just the quickest way to get like like immediately establish a bond between a group of people is like force them to compete against each other or learn something together or a combination of all of that. It's like. Like I, we probably did it, maybe not. I was gonna say, did we, we do with, did we do that with Owen too at some point? Honestly, I don't think so. We mm-hmm. we bonded over you know struggling for micro exams. But oh yeah, I don't that, know if that's... I don't know if we ever got him into the board games. Mm-hmm. Well, we got him to go to uh, well that's because he lived by there. We got him to go to uh, Oak and Shield. So that's true. R.I.P. Rest in heaven. Um, <laughs> Rest in peace. All right. To wrap up, to wrap up this section at least, mm-hmm. give me your three, I, off the top of your head, favorite board games that you've played, and just a quick reason why. I'll I'll do mine mm-hmm. first so that you get to yeah. think about yours for a second. But my first one, which I got really exposed to in college, mm-hmm. that I I've dragged you guys into a little bit, mm-hmm. are the DC deck builder games, God and. Bless. My uh, my reasoning for it being, I guess, it's no particular order, but it's so much fun because it's such a unique method of kind of setting up like the way a board game should work because it's not like a not like a straight like linear feature like um, how do I like like I don't want to say shoots and ladders like Monopoly almost where yeah. you essentially like you're forced to go around a board or anything like that and collect all these things. It's such a sense of um, like a unique sense of competitiveness and also thrown in with a whole bunch of things you see you have to balance and uh just kind of the the general like it's it's not exactly the feeling of like superheroes fighting each other but the feeling of like ooh, i get to be like strong and you know mm-hmm. uh 
take certain people down or like fuck over my friend this way. It's yeah. it's a really fun way to do it on top of just having cool artwork and shit that kind of gets try, you. And it's uh, it, try it's to a draft, lot of fun. Try to draft eight Suicide Squads in a row. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the permutations of strategies that you can do are a lot of fucking fun. Um, let's see. Number go two. go if you have yours ready. Go with yours first. All right, I'll give you number one. We'll alternate. So. Uh, number one, uh, this is going to be cheating because we already talked about it. San Juan is just a fucking masterclass board game. Uh, we, I already explained that Colin and I spent literally years looking for this game because it's such a quick and easy pick it up, you know, really fun game that's kind of very similar to DC Deck Builder and like you're trying to build a, like a, like a set of cards or a combo set of cards that work well together and you're trying to basically build in I, what I call it, like a card engine or just a series of cards that work super well together that you're like getting ahead of the people around you. But it's super competitive. There's definitely like a social aspect to it with which role you pick. Um, honestly, it just, the, the ability to teach the game quickly, uh, how kind of brief the game is and like how deep you can get with it is probably just, it's why it's one of my favorites. It is a truly awesome game. And you're mm-hmm. right in that it is a little bit similar to the DC deck builder games because you are trying to like you're trying to navigate a whole bunch of possibilities to come down to one um i guess one method of winning i guess an engine is actually a really good way to put it but one method of winning that works from you know thousands of different possibilities so they are really a lot of fun anything you got to put a lot of thought to and is fun um which kind of brings me to my next one which is also a little bit cheating because it's a card game but Mm. Euchre is actually, oh I think, God. my second favorite game, um, <laughs> which we played a whole shitload of when we went to Colorado uh, together with a whole with a you know group of us over the summer. Um, yeah, the amount of times you tried to teach me this game is like off the charts. I I I am so bad at euchre, but it, it definitely is uh, like a good game to get people together. It's one of those games that's simple enough to where it's not impossible to teach. It's like it's it's not exactly it's not as straightforward as like you know war or crazy eights or things like that, but it's simple enough to where you can kind of teach anybody and after a little while they'll get it. But it's complex enough to where you can literally play it for hours on end and usually never really have like you know you can never you won't play the same game twice and every mm-hmm. every unique hand or I guess every hand is like a new possibility and. Uh, there's there's potential for each one to be fun and that matters a lot because it keeps it from getting stale after you know like three or four times three or four rounds in and you're like well shit we're losing by we're losing by a bunch but there's at least you know there's a path back to victory for us or things like that but it's uh it's a lot of fun and it's one of those it's another game that's a nice casual medium to where if you don't want to play something crazy hardcore or have to like you know teach people take like an hour to teach someone you know this new game so that they can get up to speed with everybody else it's like a happy medium between the two where it's it's difficult enough to keep playing for a long time but not impossible to get started on Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely 
Definitely a good game. There was definitely a reason we, we played it. It was like the primary, like, we're outside in the wilderness and we need something to do. And it was a quick <laughs> way to, like, yeah, once again, quick way to get people together, work together, work against one another, try to bluff each other. Uh, yeah, Euchre's great. Let's hear your next one. Uh, number two, uh, this could be cheating again because I already talked about this, but uh, for the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of difficulty and easiness to teach... Uh, Scythe. Scythe is uh, like a stupidly expensive, like over-the-top, big, huge-ass box board games with a bunch of mini figures in it and this like huge-ass map, a lot of like fucking tokens for money, resources, and all this crazy thing. But I think I just like it so much because uh, the the way I got... That was that game. Do you remember me telling you the story about... I ordered that game off of Amazon, and I knew I, I wanted it. I, I never, literally had no idea what it was about. Um, I was kind of going on a whim on it. But I ordered it, and there was this option that said, have it here tomorrow morning. I was like, oh, that's great. I, like, well, it was like Thursday. I was like, oh, I'll have it here for Friday. Maybe we could try playing it Friday night. And uh, um, I go to bed that night, like 10 o'clock or whatever, and uh, I suddenly wake up, and it's like like 4.30 in the morning, 5 a.m., Oh my and, god, I had actually forgotten uh, about this. That's yeah, crazy. I look and, and I noticed my phone was vibrating. I was like, holy fuck, who the hell is calling me? And I look over and I have 37 missed calls. And this is like in the middle of like Milwaukee winter, February, like freezing cold outside. It's dark. It's like fucking a blizzard outside. And I was like, holy fuck, like who the hell is calling me? Is something wrong? You know, with family, you know, is, is one of you guys calling me that like an emergency or something? And, uh, I didn't recognize the number at all. I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, so I finally waited for them to call again. I finally answered. And it was the fucking Amazon guy trying to deliver Scythe to me at 4.30 in the morning who couldn't get into my building because the apartment was locked unless someone let him in. And he had like six packages, but he decided that mine, the big box, was the person he was going to call 37 times until somebody answered. Uh, so I, I trotted my way downstairs in pajama pants at... 4:30 on a you know February winter morning. <laughs> Let the guy in who was freezing to death outside. Took my big box of scythe and then went up the stairs. But um, what was really fun about it was, I think after I hyped you guys up with the story of how I got it and told all of you the story the next day, uh, I think we just had to play it that night. So uh, we went out to try and go to Brady Street for dinner at seven o'clock again, uh, and not being successful in eating anywhere. Uh, we finally ate it, probably Guadalajara. Uh, we stopped and grabbed <laughs> insomnia cookies at like 10 o'clock at night, uh, once again in, in the freezing cold Milwaukee winter. And I was like, all right, we need to go play this game. And then we're like, oh, where are we going to go play it? I was like, well, my apartment's not big enough. Your apartment was uh, um, busy or had stuff on the table. We weren't going to do it there. So we decided we were going to go play in the office. And you, I already listened to your episode uh, with Jackson with how important the office is. Uh, so we, we go down to the Marquette Business Building office where all the GAs are, and we set up this board game at 10 o'clock at night, uh, dragged all this shit out, was so fucking confused what literally any of the pieces were, and we had to watch like a, literally an hour-long tutorial of how to play this game. But what transpired for the next two hours is we played this game until 1 in the morning uh, at the bottom of in the fucking office uh was just a blast like could you remember do you remember us like collectively trying to figure out how to like play and win this game and all the yes. shit that was trying to go on like i'll never forget jackson trying to like constantly like 
pull one of us out in the hallway to like to like alliance ourselves or where to place units uh and then and then it came down to the final uh the final thing which is you know the game's over and we were scoring with it and i like lost by like one or two points uh and that began began my curse of every time i play scythe now i always get second place i've never won a game of scythe regardless of who we played with uh you know it doesn't matter if i just taught you know three people who didn't know how to play the game beforehand how to play um i would always come in second i still have to this day but in terms of like a super complicated board game that was super fun to learn and a super memorable night of getting it and learning it like scythe Scythe will always have a special place in my heart for sure. Yeah, though, <laughs> the uh, the night that we, because that happened multiple times where we mm-hmm. went down to the office to play Scythe after probably 10.30 p.m., those nights are some of the most cherished memories I have here at Marquette. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's mo- like, like you said, it's mostly because of kind of the experience of doing it, but Scythe, just as a board game, fucking oh. phenomenal to play. It did actually take us. uh, Do you remember how you tilted? We used to get that we had to literally walk upstairs out of the hot office just to fucking like like step away from the game for three seconds because we were like midway through it, like hard fucking tilting and trying to figure out how to win. Yes. Oh my god, it was so much fun. Um, We would we would ask like like either Jackson, like you said, would pull us pull one of us aside to like scheme and like take us out up into like a a borderline like into the classrooms to go talk about this shit, or we'd have to like like you said we'd have to step away for a few minutes at a time to like think over what we wanted to do because if we stayed looking at the board it was just making us mad. It was God, it's such an unbelievable game, and those nights were so much fucking fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Definitely a special place in my heart. All right, John Luke, what's number three for you? Oh boy, you're gonna fucking love this one. Okay. My last one is Rail Baron, <laughs> and we never, we never played it with the Marquette crew, which is honestly probably a blessing in disguise because I think we would have torn our throats out. But <laughs> it started. I actually have like real family history with this game because we have an original copy that came out in like the middle, like mid 1970s that's you know probably worth a pretty penny on amazon by now or like ebay whatever it is but it's like it's legitimately such an interesting game from a strategy perspective i also just realized i didn't really describe what either of the games i said previously were while you did (laughs) i'm not going to retroactively do that now but rail baron at least is basically a uh a train system version of monopoly where you have to traverse the continental united states and trains and figure out how to create rail networks uh that you own so that you don't have to pay people to travel on their rail systems and at the end it's essentially like whoever can get to a set amount of money wins and Mm -hmm. it's really difficult because you have to plan ahead for like how often you're going to go to certain areas of the united states and uh, how you're going to get there the cheapest and how you can kind of like also monopolize certain areas to make the most money off of them. And it's a really awesome, complicated game that takes a very long time to like actually learn and understand how to do well. But when you're playing it, it's really fun because you are constantly thinking about how you're going to like try and screw somebody over next, which has led to a, re- a lot of pretty like infamous moments with my family one where my mom's parents and my parents were playing 
and my grandfather got so like pissed off at my dad he actually threw a <laughs> wine glass at him um a heated which gamer was, moment for sure yeah, absolute pro gamer <laughs> moment uh and one time once when i was playing to where uh a disagreement over how much you were supposed to get paid on like a certain like ra- like railroad trip led to us essentially just like rage quitting the game right then and there uh but despite these things they get so emotional because the game is so good but the reason <laughs> the reason i knew you'd like hearing about it is because we've had I've, I've at least made fun of the fact that it's quite literally the superior version of oh my god i'm forgetting the name of this game ticket right to ride ticket, ticket to, ride. to ride that game is literally like it's it belongs in like the pre-k version of games compared to rail baron it's child's play and it uh <laughs> it makes me it made me so uh <laughs> so tilted when we would go to board game shops and you would see it and you're like oh we should get this because it's actually like a fun game and i was like no there's a way better one that's not actually made anymore but oh it made me feel like such a hipster but it is actually such an incredible game you're so lucky. I was on the verge of getting you that for Christmas. I was, I was so close. <laughs> I, I was, I was like, I was like, I, I found, I found DC Deck Builder, which I know the the expansion you always talked about, which would have been, which will be a much better gift. But just for the memes, I was so close to getting you a ticket to ride. It was unbelievable. <laughs> all right, it's it's God. That would have been pretty funny. I would have appreciated it all the same, but mm-hmm. Rail Baron is such a superior game. But let's hear your last one. Okay, last one. This one's going to be kind of similar to uh, to what you were saying. We I don't think we've played it with the Mark Heffern group, but I have a, a board game called... Uh, holy fuck. It's uh, Lifeboat. That's what it is. Um, and it's a kind of a, a secret Hitler-esque type game of it's where... Uh, people are kind of constantly turning on each other, allying with each other, trying to lie to one another. Uh, so it's uh, what's a good word for it? It's like competitive cooperatism. Um, so basically, the premise of it is you play with like five or six people, and everyone's a character on a lifeboat. And the goal of the game is to get to land, to like get off the lifeboat. Except the uh, the thing about it is everybody gets two cards at the beginning of the game of who they love and who they who they hate uh and the goal of the game to get the most points to win is the person you love must be kept alive while the person you hate you're trying to kill or knock off the lifeboat so this was a game i played all the time with my my high school friends and we played literally an unhealthy amount of it but um like how quickly uh like two players two strongest players will gang up and be like all right you and i are going to dictate you know where this lifeboat's going and who gets what items and uh um and stuff like that like coalitions would form like in games and they would quickly drop out of like all the time because you never knew what everyone's angle was and who's trying to keep who alive and who actually hates one another so you'll just have these like extremely crazy games where like you know four out of the five four out of the six players will die there's two people left on the lifeboat and uh the guy who's in charge of directing the lifeboat will actually get them lost on purpose because the last person in the lifeboat is the person they want to kill, but the other person in the lifeboat loves the other person. So, uh, like, one person's trying to stay alive, and the other person's refusing to end the game because they want to kill the other person to win. And it's just, like, and 
things that caused like major arguments among my friend group, this game was definitely in. And but for very good reason. It serves a very similar purpose to uh to Lifeboat. Uh, to sorry, to Secret Hitler. Um and like I said, it's just a very like social uh kind of cooperative but also competitive game that has just, you know, gives you a good opportunity to work with some people you normally wouldn't work with and really sharpen up your debate skills as you're trying to flip someone to your team and stuff like that. It's a, it's a great game. I like that game a lot. God, yeah. The similarities to Secret Hitler are, are definitely present and notable. But mm-hmm. I forgot, did we ever actually try and play that here? Uh, I think so once. The issue with Lifeboat is, unlike Secret Hitler, is if you don't have exactly the maximum amount of players, which is usually like one or two above what we usually have, uh, it's not really that good because uh, the game kind of relies on having a coalition, kind of like Secret Hitler, but it's not balanced for the number of players. So if you're playing with four people and two of the people are just the strongest, they, they just like work with each other until the end of the game, basically. So I don't think I've really... We may have played it once, but I don't think I really brought it out for everybody because I never think we really had enough players for it. That makes sense. Yeah, I... Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I don't remember it, so I hope we didn't play it because then, you know, I don't want to say that one of your favorite board games wasn't memorable, yeah. but I, yeah, I can't for the life of me think about it, but those are, I think those six board games, pretty, pretty good standing, honestly. Yeah. Um, That's just the ones we talked about. I mean, I fucking bring over a goddamn crate every time I come over I was going to say, there's, there's, you know honorable mentions down the list and a lot of a lot of really awesome ones that got left off that Mm -hmm. you know brought us hours of joy too but Mm -hmm. uh damn i was gonna get into even more things about like our favorite scout memories and things like Mm -hmm. that and what we enjoyed about scouts but Mm -hmm. unfortunately there is a little bit of a time limit because the software I use to make this shit uh has you know a limit to how much it can process for free so I hate to say it, but I think wait, we're gonna wait, have to wait. save future or more of these, you know, conversational topics for the next one that you're gonna be on. Oh no no no! We have to do one more. I promise it'll be quick, and we'll have enough. We we won't go into too detail, but in the sake of, like, like getting it down and recording it, you and I need to have a very quick, brief conversation about our time in microeconomics. Oh okay, actually yes, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because we definitely yeah. do. No fucking surprises. No surprises. And that is precisely where Matt's computer decided that we were, in fact, done talking about board games. I guess it even got bored of hearing us. Thankfully, since I have resurrected this idea back from the dead, Matt and will be on future episodes of other precisely folks, where Matt's computer decided that we were in fact solo again done anyways to talk talking about, about board games. More, I guess it uh, even strange got bored of hearing political us. and online shenanigans. Thankfully, in the future. since I have resurrected As this always, idea back uh, from the dead, I appreciate Matt will be on future episodes with other folks. And I imagine I'll have him back on uh, solo again anyways to talk about even more uh, strange political and online shenanigans in the future. As always, I appreciate anyone who listened, and I hope you enjoyed it.